Hey y'all, it's time for Rolling Dice and Taking Names. In this episode, the guys will tell you about Everybody Lies, the new Batman-themed detective game, the new version of Galaxy Trucker, the expansion to Lost Ruins of Arnak, and the Scurry Report is back to review Crescent Moon. And Taste Buds will feature Flaming Hot Mountain Dew, and the boys are thrilled that Great Pop-Tarts are back. Hello and welcome to episode number 256, Walking Walking on the Moon. This is Rolling Dice and Taking Names. I'm Tony. I'm Marty. Was that better? Did I come out stronger this time than my NPR? Okay. You did. I appreciate that. A couple episodes ago, you kind of came in on the on the uh, download, the load, the uh, you know. I I don't even have a word here. I don't know, but Vanessa copied right after me. She was like talking about all this NPR stuff. See, we were in sync. We knew how to go. You were the one yeah, out of that's sync. Right. That's right. It was the NPR voice. That's right. Walking, walking on the moon. Please, nobody, don't don't auto tune that. Don't put that in a. In a second. It'll come a jingle. There it oh, is. You please, can't put no. it out there. It's like you can never put like little video clips or pictures out on the web because it somebody will meme it or do something with it. So now we found out that people will take audio clips of you singing and do stuff with it. And that is being generous on the singing because it's not. <laughs> they were in the Discord channel talking about it, which it's funny what our Discord channel will latch on to. So here we are about, no, I didn't have to do anything. Well, he has no pitch. He has no tone. I'm like, okay, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. I completely agree. Uh, oh, yeah. So we're actually talking about, uh, in case you don't know, the Taste Buds jingle that we launched uh, last episode. It's a brand new jingle that uh, Grishni over our Discord channel put together. That's a dog. See, that's what happens when you record in the middle of a good sunny Sunday afternoon as the dog gets to look out and see a squirrel or something and, and just go nuts. That's okay. He's entitled. He's protecting. He's protecting the home. But yes, Grishni. Yes. Yeah, he did an amazing job. And they'll get to hear job. it again today. Oh, that's what it. I was going to say. That's why I was teasing. You're going to get to hear it again uh, because a, a a listener who contacted me on BGG said, hey, I got something for you to try, and if you don't can't find it, I'll send it to you. Tony actually found it and got uh, got me one, and I'm kind of holding off on teasing it because you got to wait till the segment to uh, hear about what we're going to be tasting in this episode's taste buds. I mean, we went down a rabbit hole in Discord about the various disgusting items that should be happening on this show. This isn't we're not Rhett and Link. We're not making a lot of money here, people. So, so here's the thing. That has opened up a whole nother rabbit hole of, hey, will you guys try this <laughs> sort of deal, right? And uh, Sensei Jeff, who is as a, one of our most active contributors in Thank our you. Discord mm-hmm. channel, uh, amazing guy. I've played uh, Guild Wars with him and stuff. He, he's a real fun guy to hang out with. He said, have you guys ever tried the, the fruit called durian? D-U-R-I-A-N. And as soon as he brought that up, several of the people in the Discord channel said, oh my gosh, that's the most disgusting thing ever. Board game, it's important, and board game fangirl, I don't want to call out her name because you may not want her name uh, called out, uh, said, oh, that, that stuff's not very good, or you it's an acquired taste. Julia came in, chimed in, and said, oh, yeah, that stuff is, is pretty awful. So Jeff goes, well, then Marty and Tony need to try it. So what he has done, he has sent us Freeze-dried durian, Tony. Mm-mm. How can anything be bad with f- being freeze-dried? How can well, it be I, I know. Well, here's the thing. It's one of those things you'd have to hunt down. It's, it's typically in Asian markets, Asian uh, fruit markets that you can buy this. 
And somebody sent us a video on Discord saying, look, here's a clip of a hundred different people trying mm-hmm. it. And most of them thought it was disgusting. So the thing is, though, he said, well, we don't get the full effect if you guys taste this on podcast. You should do it on video. Tony, I've been talking to you about possibly, I'm going to get you this freeze-dried durian. You're, you're getting ready to head out of town, so our, t- our, sinking, our timing's not going to work exactly over the next two weeks. But everybody, next episode, we're going to announce a live date where Tony and I are going to get on Twitch and we're going to taste this freeze-dried durian. Sensei Jeff actually tried this on our Discord channel on YouTube. Like I said, thought it was disgusting. You saw his visual expression just, ugh. So we're going to be trying this. I don't know. Maybe we'll throw in a couple other decent tasting snacks that we can do during that and save the durian for the very last thing. So this past weekend, a friend of my daughter, she was in town. Who She's kind of like our second daughter. She was always over at the house. They were always studying together. She had come into town for a wedding and I asked Dana, I said, Dana, have you ever had durian? And she goes that some people love it. Some people hate it. That Mm. it's kind of, I said, is it kind of like that asparagus thing that, you know, some people can smell it. Some people can't. And she was like, you know, that's probably one of those things that, you know, you, your taste buds react a certain way to it. And I go, yeah, somebody was telling me it smelled like rotted meat. And she goes, well, I don't get that. And Donna looks at me and goes, you're not bringing that into my house. (laughs) Well, freeze dried. So we're safe, right? So it's going to be freeze dried. Um, It's funny that you say that because Vanessa uh, spent some time in the Philippines during college. And she went, yeah, I've had durian. What's what's the big deal? Here's the thing. She ate balut, which (laughs) is, do you know what that is? I think so, but go ahead. partially formed chicken inside of an egg that's left out in the sun to rot and then you punch a hole in it and suck out the juice on the inside. And why? Why? Why would you do this? I don't know. She said it tasted delicious. uh, So uh, when I hear things like that, it always goes through my mind. Why would someone even think, let's try this? (laughs) You know, know, millions of years ago, so I said, I got an idea. I got an idea. It's like, what, what? Let's take an egg and leave it out to rot. rot. You mean like a regular egg? No, like one's got like a chick in it. Oh, okay, sure. And let's let it rot. And then let's eat whatever happens to on the inside of the shell. Yeah, let's, let's <laughs> go for it. Have you ever heard of the website uh, Rent the Runway? Rent the Runway? I have not. Okay, she works for this. This is amazing to me. And I know I'm, I'm moving this off of here, but that's okay. I can do this. It's our show. It's this place where you can subscribe and they will send you clothes to rent. It's, it's female clothes only. And you can cy- cycle and I go, this sounds kind of like the early Netflix. So it's like the Netflix of clothes? Yeah, where you would, I, I subscribe and I get four pieces of clothes and I can sh- shuffle them in, in and out, in and out, in and out. And the thought process, and this thing, this, I didn't realize how big this was. And we were talking about it and I was like, okay, this is very interesting. And she goes, yeah, a lot of newscasters. Because they don't want to constantly buy, be buying new sh- clothes. So this gives them the ability to change out their, their wardrobe. You know, the female always have a new dress, always have this, or formal wear, or stuff like this. And I go, now wait a minute, but it's only for females. So I, I came up with an idea. I said, rent the t-shirts. I've got 100, 150 t-shirts downstairs. You and I probably, between us, we could probably do rent the t-shirts for men. I want to go back to this original idea. Okay. So the clothes that you're getting have been already worn by somebody else. Yeah, and and they're and it's a focus on sustainability and you know. So if oh, I oh okay, huh? 
No, we could do, we could do a, I, I, so I have like four drawers of t-shirts. Exactly. So yes, I 100% would be in for a rent the t-shirt. Yeah. We, you go out, you subscribe. We see okay. three t-shirts a month or whatever the subscription rate is. And you can have all these really cool sh- t-shirts. I mean, get around. I'm, I'm like, why can this not be a thing? It was very interesting. These are ideas. I'm like, why did I not have that? My best idea is about a bakery board game. And if we ever legalize a substance here in North Carolina, I'm going to have that as part of it down at the beach. BB&B at the B. BB&B at the B. Mm-hmm. Bakery, board games, buds at the beach. <laughs> Taste buds. Of a different kind, but yeah. Of a different kind. <laughs> That's right. I don't, I want, I'm going, I need some help on this because that ain't me, but I'm just thinking, you know, what better way? You're at a bakery and it, we all know that. Hey, I'm sorry. I'm really squirreling here. I'm no, sorry. That's okay. But I, I do want to fold back in to the timeline of food because durian or durian or durian, I'm not sure how it's pronounced. We're eventually going to try the freeze dried. That's going to be coming. However, Tony, if anybody's ever listened to this show before in the past and we get on the subject of Pop-Tarts, oh, yes. I always lament my favorite flavor of all time being discontinued many years ago. As a child, when I went to the store and wanted Pop-Tart, there was one flavor that I always wanted, and that flavor was grape. Mm-hmm. It was just announced that Pop-Tarts is re-releasing Frosted Grape, and I am so excited. When is it going to be here? I don't know. Because every time we announce this stuff, it's kind of like the mac and cheese ice cream. I can't find it. I can't get this stuff. So I'm I'm excited. They announced the, I think it was not snooker, snickerdoodle Pop-Tarts, but there was another flavor coming out. I have been looking every week at the grocery store for these flavors. So if I see great Pop-Tarts, I'm on it. So here's the thing. Uh, on, I'm on their website and it says where to buy and right now, nobody near me has it. So it's not around here yet. So maybe this is just recently announced. Look, y'all, I never eat Pop-Tarts. I do not because of they're full of stuff that you shouldn't eat. But I will be trying a frosted grape Pop-Tart because there's nostalgia written all over that yumminess in my mouth. I still eat them to this day. I love Pop-Tarts. Oh, I that. love Pop-Tarts. I love them. But if I have them in this house, they will be. I will eat them. Mm-hmm. And I should not do that. So the best thing if I just don't bring them into the house. Luckily, since we've become empty nesters and the boys kind of lived off Pop-Tarts, they haven't been in here in a while. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, I brought you that one. What was it? The waffle flavored ones? You did eat yeah. that. Yeah, yeah so. we did eat that. That was for a taste bud segment. So uh, in fact, you know what? We find a frosted grape. I'll save it. We'll do a taste bud segments to see if it's as good as I remember. Now, we've got a segment coming up. We got to play a game called Crescent Moon recently over at the house, and we got to taste some incredible f- food from my wife. She made this amazing lemon cake, and we'll talk more about this later. But one thing that happened is when we finished up playing, you and Nate looked at me and, and looked at me and Mark and goes, hey, let's play Magic Commander Deck. And I'm like, really? Oh, let me see if I can go find it. Nate goes, oh, don't worry. I've got plenty. I'm like, fine. Works for me, Nate. So he goes out to his car. He comes back with an industrial size book bag full of magic cards. No, I think it's a suitcase. It might I be. think it's a small carry-on luggage. It could be. I'm like, holy cow, dude. I was like, yeah, sure. Just tell me what I need to do with this deck. And after, so here's the thing. Cut to the chase. 
We play this and I'm just not enjoying it. Now, don't get mad at me. Don't, don't be yelling at me, y'all, from this standpoint. Why can you not enjoy this? Why can you not love Because I love playing these games. We, we played Lord of the Rings. I love playing card games. It's what got us started in this. But I think, Marty, one of the things is that there's just so much going on with some of these cards that it just doesn't sink in with me. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of text on a lot of these cards and a lot of a lot of things for sure going on. Uh, in fact, yesterday, as of this recording just this week, some new commander decks came out from the brand new set called Nukapena. Nukapena. And I got with the boys yesterday and I said, you know, hey, it's finals week. You guys are stressed out. How about if I buy each of us a, a, a commander deck? And we went out to probably the best local game store we have here in Charlotte, Mighty Meeple, and hung out there and played a couple games of Magic. And as I'm playing this, I, I get it, Tony. I'm reading you know, a wall of text on the cards. There's this whole concept of voting. I'm like, okay, we're going to go around the table and vote to either investigate or I can't remember the one of the other things was. Uh, it was either you were going to get to draw a card or add a treasure. Uh, which can be used as mana. I didn't know the concept of voting existed in the game. And Travis was like, oh, that's a good card because you get an extra vote on everything. That means you could build a whole deck around voting. <laughs> okay. So yes, no, I totally get it. If you don't play a lot, there is a lot of text on the cards that you might need to hand to somebody and go, could you just tell me what this does? But the more you play, the more it kind of sinks in, the more you're able to interpret the cards yourself where you don't need the help. And so Nate gives me this deck and it's all about tokens and yeah. all these tokens are floating around. I'm like, how do y'all know what the power, I couldn't keep track of all of it. And I'm like, God, I've- I just felt old, you know, I, I hate to say, I-, I did. I was like, I don't know. Just here. But Nate's like, well, you need to do this. You need to do this. And you need to do this. And I was like, okay, I can understand that. I understand what I need to do as far as the chaining of it. But then he's like, okay, well now you can send them all attack and do this. And I don't, you got to get to the rules. And that's why I understand now why magic is such a strong community. Very much so. And in fact, Commander has really taken off. I was talking to Travis about my son, Travis, about this yesterday. Uh, he said, he said, honestly, about 2018, he said, uh, Wizard of the Coast really said, okay, this is a popular format. We're really going to start pushing it now. Started coming out with a lot of Commander decks. And right as he said that, I looked around the open gaming area of the store and there were probably five concurrent games of commander being played with three or four people, not regular magic, but c- the commander format. And I said, why is the commander format so popular? One of the appeals of this format is that it play- supports three and four players. And he said, because so what's happened is it's become more of a social game. So you guys, you like to sit down and play board games, right? Sit down with three or four people. That's fun. Four friends sitting around just having a good time. He said, now with magic cards, you can get that same feeling. Just four buddies hanging around, throwing some cards on the table, just laughing, having a good time, you know, having a few drinks, some snacks and everything. And he said that this format really supports that. So it's become more of a social game than what it used to be, which is very much a one versus one, very competitive style game. I can, I can see that. And and it was and like any of us. We really didn't care who won because Mark and I were sitting there like, whatever, you just tell us what to do, Nate. Nate's like, well, you need to go attack here. You need to go attack here. Well, I think Nate really wanted to win. But I was like, okay, let me take you out. And you had some angel of no death card going over there so no one could beat you. And I'm sitting there. I had a bunch of trees running around. And I have no idea what Mark was doing. 
<laughs> no idea other than just hitting each mark was like, okay you take some damage you take some damage yes this is one of those things after you play a board game name kind of like what we do on our thursday night game nights where we go and we can sit there and probably finish up a game like we did the other night and it's like eh, 30 minutes do you want to go home no not really well i should but no nah, i don't want to god i'm glad donna doesn't listen to this and say okay let's just let's just throw these decks out there and, see. and I think that's the idea of why each of us maybe just throw a deck in the bag, because if there's time after, and if it's a deck you already know, right, Tony? So let's say, I think you've bought a commander deck or two. Mm-hmm. If you just use that one over and over, eventually you've seen the cards, you know how they work, and it just flows, you know, really quickly. I haven't bought a lot of commander decks. I did this so I could spend some time with my sons, and I enjoyed that and everything. I am interested in the next set, which is about Baldur's Gate, Dungeons and Dragons. So I think that would be fun to maybe pick up one of those commander decks and see how they play. And I think if I buy another one, because the one the two I bought were the cheapest ones I could on Amazon, and Nate had it there, and he's like, well, here it is. Why don't you play it? And I've upgraded it a little bit. I'm like, okay, I'm glad I didn't open this one up because I did not like all that token stuff. I'm like, so maybe that, Baldur's maybe there's some theme that I'm going to enjoy, enjoy, like a dwarf smashing somebody. I don't know. Whatever is going to be the theme of these things but it's something i can look forward to but yeah i saw that as you posted the um commander i was like you know that that was taking me back to when we had game game day over here i was just like man why why is this not sinking in but you're right i just need to concentrate on that i'm parched but we got to get rid rid of one more thing that came to get rid of i don't know if we need to get rid of it no we don't need to get rid of we need to talk a little bit about it tell me a little bit about what you handed off to me and said go learn this yeah, you know that game Undaunted that we really enjoy by designers Trevor Benjamin and David Thompson? I've heard of them. They're, you know, yeah, yeah. You know. Undaunted, one of our favorite game series. Well, guess what? They have a new game coming out on GameFound. It's a solo game, and it's called Resist. You and I got a prototype of it, and uh, we're just going to do a little preview of what we think of the game, and it's going to be launching on GameFound on May 12th. Well, Tony, one thing we like about the games from David Thompson and Trevor Benjamin is the historical theme and this one has like a theme I've, I didn't even know anything about. Well, so Marty, this was back um, during the Spain Civil War. All right. It was, you know, Spain Civil War, 1936. General Franco was going through the land, uh, oppressing the people. And then this resistance formed up and they're trying to take back Spain. They're not, you know, the, the Civil War was devastating to Spain. And if you remember, that's where Hitler um, practice his um, lightning, his blitzkrieg on the people. It was just a bad time. And so you are the resistance fighters. You are trying to weaken Franco's hold. Mm. To me, Marty, this game is uh, the solitaire nature. So first off, that's what sold me on this game. It's solitaire. It's, it's a quick game. It's that lunchtime game. And another thing about this game, and I'm just going to go ahead and say it is, it's an ass whooper. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. One thing I like about this game is I guess there's, if you're really, really good, you can win. There's no win. You you got beat 10 missions. You could finish the game in theory, but lots of time with this game, as you're playing it, you're basically get to a point where you could say, I'm just going to stop because there's a couple lose conditions that would cause you to automatically lose. And and at at the end of a round, you can just say, I'm going to stop right here. What's my score? And there's a little chart in the mm-hmm. book that tells you how well you did based on your score. So it is kind of like, you know, I'm going to see how far I can go before. Can I beat my last record? No, I failed. I tried again. But it sets up really quick, right? I mean, you just got a deck of cards that you're going to draw from. 
Here's one thing. You read the rules and you think it's a deck builder, but it's not really a deck builder per se. No, there's no deck building to this. It's built during setup. You might be able to draft more cards later on certain events that occur. But other than that, it's a deck manager. How do, ah. When this game hits the table, the key difference that people need to understand is there is the people are hidden or they are revealed. And depending on how they are played will determine certain aspects of the game. A round is very simple. You plan your actions. You, deti- you decide which mission you're going to go on. You attack. You hopefully will defeat the mission or defeat some of the enemies. You clean up. You recover back to the top. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's a couple of losing conditions. One of which is, you know, as soon as you lose to two missions, game over. You draw five. And losing a mission is basically attempting it and not defeating That's it. That's right. So you've really got to know. And it's not like you come in there with some really big cards and you can just wipe the floor. When you reveal someone to fight for the resistance, they are now discarded and out of play. But if they remain hidden, they can come back and fight another day. Yeah, so basically they go back into your draw deck. But the thing is, though, usually the hidden side of the card isn't as powerful as the revealed. So it's all a timing thing. When do I want to play this revealed card and and know that it's out of my deck forever? Or do I want to push my luck and use the hidden side and keep this card for a future turn? Right. And when you beat the missions, you get the victory points. That's how you get the victory points. Various missions have conditions that are coming. Did I defeat it? Then this action will happen. Or if I'm in a mission, is it has the defend keyword, which will kick off early. The enemies you face, they have various defend, survive, or defeat actions. And they're not kind to you. They're going to hurt you. Yeah, so each mission has a certain number of enemies assigned to it. So let's say uh, I'm going to do a plan. I'm going to do some things to, to try to beef up my guys, and then I'm going to do an attack. You add up the attack values of your cards. You pick the mission that you're going to attempt. You see how much damage you need to do to that mission to defeat it. But if there's any face-down enemy cards, they flip up. And then, like you said, Tony, you got to deal with those. Some of those are nasty. It's like, oh, if they survive, you need to draw survivor cards which is another losing condition of the game. There's a stack of cards you draw, and if this ever the sum of the number of survivors that you draw is equal to five, the game also ends. Civilians. You're killing civilians. They're not they're yeah. survivor cards. They're civilian cards. Just so I don't want to pay $5. Sorry. I'm not yeah. paying $5 here. Yeah. So yeah, so there's the other condition. And so here's the thing. And if you defeat a mission, but not all the enemies, you replace the one you defeated with a new mission, which brings out more enemies So now there's even more at that new mission that just came out. So you see how this kind of ramps up over time to the point you just say, stop, stop. I'm going to just see what kind of score I got and uh, see how well I did on the chart. So what's the key about the two decks? The hit, there's there's the um, one you draw from, and then there's the recruit recruit deck. deck And and then you've got to move people over because as you're discarding them, there's not that many options to bring people over into the recruit deck. Or from the recruit deck. I'm sorry, from the recruit deck. I'm messing up the terms. I've played it a lot. And, and unfortunately, I think that's one thing about the game. Once you get the gist of it, the, the terms just wash away. I know what I'm doing. I'm going to play hidden cards and revealed cards. You know, and I'm going to pull from this deck or this deck. Marty, I played this multiple times. And when I say multiple, I think I've gotten up to six. And I'm still not very good at this. <laughs> it's it's a tough game and that's what makes it good right so if you're going to look at backing this game just know that oh i'm going to after a couple of plays i'm going to end up beating it no 
Uh, one thing I like too is when the game uh, first sets up, they just say, just randomly set up the decks. You got the stack of cards, deal 12 into one deck, 12 into the other. One's the recruit deck, one's your hidden deck that you're going to draw from. The way to really play this game is once you understand it is recruit. You recruit cards and build the deck that you're going to be playing from. So you try to get the best strategy you can with those cards that you recruit. Yes, but there's only a couple cards that allow you to recruit. So it's hard. It's not that easy. I'm sorry. I say recruit. I mean draft. Right. At the beginning of the game, you do a draft of cards to set up your decks instead of just randomly mm-hmm. dealing them out. Gotcha. Okay. And, yeah. and let's not forget, even ever all the resistance, there are actually people loyal to Franco, the spies. That's how That will clog up your draw deck. You'll have spies. Oh, that's right. So there are some uh, cards that will actually throw spies into your deck that just basically do nothing. And if you ever ha- draw a hand and it's full of spies, that's another losing condition. I enjoy it. Uh, I enjoy these mm-hmm. types of games, games that, uh, it's strange, games that piss me off. Why do I want to keep playing it? Because I know I can do better. There's got to be a combo. I never tried the draft side of it. Maybe I'll do that next. Yep. Try the draft as opposed to just a random dealing out cards. That That's a way to kind of tweak your deck and, and make it better. So yeah, this is again, coming from the same uh, designers who gave us Undaunted, the Undaunted series, plus uh, War Chest. And uh, the Undaunted, the winner of a BGG. Golden. That's right. The gold uh, for a war game. And and also runner up was Red Flag Over Paris, which we really enjoyed too. So congratulations uh, to there them. There is one other thing I will say before we get out of here on this game. And that is, I don't know about you, but the illustrations, something grabbed me about. Normally, I, I you know, art kind of washes over me. Mm-hmm. But there was something about the cartoon style of this. You know what it kind of reminded me of? Uh, what was the game from Simon uh, that we played? The uh, co-op uh, World War One game. Oh, uh, mm. you know what I'm. You know, what? <laughs> I can't not think yeah, of the game. I can't either. I cannot think of. I know. Oh, uh, uh, Grizzled. Grizzled. Yes. You know the art style was kind of unique mm. on that. It was kind of cartoony, but it was still kind of a dark uh, setting. That's what this kind of feels like too. Yeah, the art is is really amazing. Uh, on and and it's subtle colors, subtle pastels, and I'm just like everything. Don't. <laughs> I always like to say one negative. Why can people not find font size 12? Had to put on your reading glasses. I did. You know, when you set up the uh, mission deck, you have to pick era ones, you know, a certain amount of era one, era two, and era three. Yeah. I, I was like, good gosh, man. All you had to do was bring the box up a little bit. These are big cards. Come on. Oh, uh, David, sorry. I just got to pick at you a little bit there, man. But once again, this game is from uh, Salt and Pepper Games. It's going to be on GameFound. Uh, designers Trevor Benjamin, um, Roger Hankersley, and David Thompson. And illustrations are by Albert Montes. I hope I said his name correctly. It was very good. Hey, for, for me, it's a buy. Yep. And uh, Tony, you said right before this, you were parched. So uh, you know what that's time for. Taste buds. Two incredible stars. Taste buds. Two incredible stars. Taste buds. Oh, it's so good, Tony. Several people on Discord and even on Twitter said, okay, it's an earworm. It's an earworm. It gets stuck in your ears. Two incredible studs. <laughs> they have medication for that. 
for ear. Well, I had something in my ear. It was some type of bacteria. They had to put dice pods. I'm so sorry. That uh, it just took me took me your time. All right. Tony, you said you've been parched. Uh, parched. We got a drink over here. Whoa. This is the one that was teased to me uh, by a listener on BGG. Tony found it. What are you holding in your hand? I'm holding Mountain Dew Flaming Hot, 20 ounces of pure gold, 280 calories for those of us worried about that. Uh, serving size is one bottle. So you got to count for 280 calories today, man. Not that you're going to be... Um, you're drinking it all. We've got to save some for, uh, of course, our lovely wives. I've, I've heard some things about this. I've heard that it's not as hot as they want you to believe with this little flaming red guy on the label. So I'm, I'm excited for this. It says caution, flaming hot. It does say caution. And then it says with a blast of heat and citrus. But I'm looking at the ingredients. I see nothing that would give any. There's no pepper or anything. I was looking for like you know, cayenne or some sort of pepper, something, I see nothing. Looking at this, it does, it looks like there's a picture of a lime on the bottle with flames coming out the top. So I'm expecting some sort of lime flavor in this thing. It is red. It is bright red. Mm -hmm. I don't know what to expect on this at all. I don't either. And I'm, I'm excited to, they had it on sale in the cans. They actually got the cans coming in now. They took up the space of Spark, which I think my wife will have a hissy on. Uh oh, yeah. she likes that spark, doesn't she? She loves that spark. So, but I'm ready to taste this. Are you ready to give this a shot? Uh, yeah. Now this is a bottle, so we're not we're not popping the top. We're taking off the lid here. Oh, there's a little bit of a pop there. All right, here we go. First, the smell test. Not, I smell. I smell nothing. Well, the red. I smell. I smell lime. Definitely lime. Yeah, I was gonna say almost like a, a sprite mm-hmm. or cleaning solutions. <laughs> Pine saw, Mr. Clean. It is. Mr. Clean. It smells like something I would use to clean the countertop. That's not good. No, fantastic. Well, you know, that's what they say about Mountain Dew. It can run right through you. Just saying. It's true. Here we go. Here we you go. Ready? Let's do it. All right. Uh, it's got a little something. I, I've, I get the burst of citrus at the beginning, and after it goes down, there's a something that's causing, I guess, a little heat on the back of the throat. That's what I feel. That's what I got. The exact same thing. A little heat on the back of the throat coming through. It's not a strong lime like I'm used to, but there's a little heat there. Mm. Here's the thing. I would like this more if they didn't try to throw in the heat. Oh, yeah. The heat does really nothing for Number one, it's not hot. It's that's not hot at all. Oh, you know what this is, reminds me of? Real ginger ale. You know how mm. real ginger ale can have heat yeah. in it? It's, mm. it's hot. I wonder if that's the ginger. Did you see? Did you see ginger? I, I did not see ginger in here. Blenheim is a very popular ginger ale that's made in South Carolina. It's, it's local, but it's considered real. It's my son's favorite. And what there is is in the regular Blenheim, there's a little kick, just like this afterwards. And they also make a very hot one. This is like just a regular ginger ale. Yeah, and I mean, after tasting it a few times here, I'm not the, the heat's gone away for me because it's already there. It's already on the back of the throat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, get rid of the heat, and this would be pretty darn special. Yeah, uh, Kool Aid. It kind of tastes like a, like a fruit punch Kool Aid, maybe mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Well, the, it does not rank up there as one of the tops. It doesn't nope. replace Code Red or any of the other ones. If there was a, I don't know. I was gonna say if there was a zero sugar, would I buy a case? I don't think I like the heat enough. Mm-mm. It's there. It serves no purpose. Exactly. 
I'm with you. It's a, yeah. It's not like you're going to go out and do a TikTok challenge or whatever challenge you want to do of Mountain Dew flaming hot. Whereas something like ginger ale, you're expecting that heat, and that's just part of the experience of having ginger ale. A real ginger ale. Canada Dry is not real ginger ale, y'all. So let's go down and get one of those jelly beans that had the heat to it. Follow it with this. There we go. So anyway, it's okay. It's okay. If you're curious, I would say buy a single bottle and try it. Do not buy a whole case of it. No, I wouldn't either. I'm glad I held off because all their, the cans were on sale and I was like, ooh, three for 12. I could pick up 12, a 12 pack. Nah, I'm glad I didn't. So actually, you know what's sad is I'm putting it, I put the lid on it so Donna could have some and I don't think I'm going to go back to it either. Well, I have another drink in here thinking, it's like, oh, if this is hot, I need to, you know, is it clear down? Yeah, I don't need to. I don't Here's the thing. I like the initial taste. I like the punchy part of it. The citrus. No, it's not doing anything for me, man. That's okay. Hey, you can't like everything. Can't like everything. You can't. And that's why we're here for y'all. We're here for you so that you don't have to experience this stuff if you don't want to. And everybody's like, yeah, I didn't really care to know whether Flaming Hot was good or not from Mountain Dew. I mean, that, that was a good $4.27 wasted. <laughs> <laughs> That's coming out of the RDTM budget there, big boy. I, I will tell you, when I, when I saw it, it's like $1.99 for this? I can go get a two liter that's on sale right now for $1.25. What is going on here? Yeah, yeah, they get you in the single the single bottles. They always get you at the drive-thru. Is that, for, is that a quote from something? Uh, yeah, it, uh, Lethal Weapon 2, was it? Was it? And in the drive, it was the one with um, Joe Pesci. Yep. Was that number two? I can't remember. It's not worth he, five. He was, he was in number two. Okay, yeah, because they go to Subway and he doesn't get the right sandwich and they always, in the drive-thru, I'm not using the right word. Oh, that's there. right, because he uses, that's right. Now I can picture him saying because he drops an F-bomb. In yeah, that. he does. Uh, all right. We got some games to talk to, but first, a very exciting announcement, y'all. We've told y'all this before. We used to love collecting baseball cards. Uh, Tony started in, well, I started in the 70s too, but we really got into it in college and we always wanted to be able to protect our uh, investment and also to be able to enjoy them. So very early on, we loved to get like three ring binders and sheets to store our cards in. And one of the sheets that we always tend to really enjoy was these sheets made by Ultra Pro. They would hold nine cards. And one of the things they really promoted was they will not yellow because I've seen some other sheets that did yellow and they dry out and they can kind of mess up your cards. And so we want to make sure to protect our investment. So early on, before we even got into board games, we were using Ultra Pro products. So Tony, I remember you and I buying our boxes going out to auctions, buying new cards, coming home and, and sleeping those things and, and putting them in binders so we could flip through them and look, look at them and enjoy them. We did. And I remember doing it with my baseball cards. I remember the biggest thing, it was made it so easy to be able to organize decks, but loved how I could protect the cards, how I could protect what I thought was a valuable commodity to me, especially moving forward to today's times where I could sell them and finance my daughter's college education. Didn't sell a one of them. 
that didn't happen. Didn't yeah, happen. We had this grandiose idea in the early 90s. It's like, we're going to pay for our kids' education with baseball cards. Then in the early 90s, mid-90s, the baseball card market crashed, and we never saw any in benefit from those cards. So we got out of the baseball card thing, but about five, six years later, we started playing Lord of the Rings CCG, which is basically our entry point into tabletop card games. So here we go again. We're buying all these cards. We're sorting their cards. It's like, wait a minute. What was that product that we used to use for our baseball cards? Store our card. Oh, yeah, that's right. Ultra Pro. Oh, look. Check this out. Ultra Pro also makes card sleeves so we can sleeve all of our cards for our deck so that we don't have our grubby little hands all over them. And if we play with Cheetos, we don't mess up our cards. So we had a way to sleeve our cards and protect them. And then I would put them into binders. So that I, and put them in numerical order so I can flip through. And like you said, Tony, it's very easy for building a deck. And then later on, Tony, I remember Ultra Pro made actual binders themselves with sheets already provided. I would usually just buy three ring binders and buy the individual sheets, but they made all in one binders. I bought a red one and I bought a blue one. Can you guess what game that was for? That would be Netrunner. Yep, yep. So I had all my corporation de uh, cards in one binder all my runners in another binder. And ever since then, that's pretty much been my staple product from Ultra Pro. So we have a long history with them. And as such, we've always thought it would be so cool if we could work with them in an official capacity. Well, let's fast forward to probably the end of last year. We started talking with Ultra Pro about working with them, maybe being a sponsor of the show. And we've gone through a lot of different things and ideas of how we can work together and things that we can do to help each other out. And we are so excited and proud to announce that as of May, as of this episode, Ultra Pro is now an official sponsor of RDTN. How'd you pull that off? Do they not listen? Do they not know anything? <laughs> Here's the deal. It's like, yeah, I pointed to some of your episodes. I went, oh boy, this oh. is not going to go well. <laughs> so much for selling that. What, 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 what do you mean? What do you mean you want to kick the tires before you buy? <laughs> What's going on here? What kind of crap is this? Trust us. We're good. We're, we know what we're doing. Your commercials are going to be top notch. Trust us. Yes. Just like we trusted your products in protecting our investment into cards. <laughs> so, oh, gosh. So what are they protecting? What are we protecting for them? It's probably not integrity at this point. No. <laughs> so anyway, we are so excited to be working officially with Ultra Pro. What does that mean? That just means each episode, we're going to be talking about some amazing products coming from them. And guys, y'all may not even realize this, but they also provide board games. They also a place you can go get board games. For example, Tony, you are a big fan of Ascension. They officially work with Stoneblade Entertainment, and that's where you get your Ascension games from. Yes, but you're absolutely right. I would get all my um, Ascension games from them and appreciate them continuing that crack for me. Having to play that game, oh, so good. I'm going to their website right now. And what people don't realize is Ultra Pro, not only is it's cards, but you ha they have the comic protectors. Yes. I've got an order in for some comic protectors. I'm very excited to do that. I need to transfer another one of those things that I swear would put my daughter through college, my comics. I pulled them down the other day, and the bags that they were in, they need to be replaced. So I need to mm -hmm. get that happening. They've got various, you know, deck boxes, play mats. And then, you know, they've got something that I'm interested in is sorting trays, card sorting trays. 
Yeah, so that's for if you do a lot of like opening of booster packs. Uh, you remember how we used to sort uh, cards by, you know, hundreds, tens, etc. And then we would, you know, get them put in the right order. So as you open up decks of cards, you would put them in certain slots on the tray. Here are the tens, here are the twenties, the thirties, forties, fifties, etc. So you can easily uh, make sorting a lot easier. So that's kind of how, what that works. Early in the show, we talked about Commander uh, and Magic. They work together with Wizards of the Coast and have official Magic the Gathered branded products. Play mats, sleeves deck boxes so if you're really into magic and there's a certain commander or a planeswalker that you like almost guaranteed they probably have a play mat of it the i one of the things i really like from this very simple idea is a play mat tube it's like ah, oh, these play mats they won't stay rolled up in anything they have a clear play mat tube for sliding your play mat in to take care of your play mats uh so they have a lot of different products and here's the thing y'all uh, starting right now, if you go to their website and you order anything from them, when you check out, if you use the code RDTN, you'll get 5% off your order. That is not like a limited time, as long as they are the sponsor of our show. And who knows, next month, they may listen to an episode <laughs> and go, okay, this just ain't working. So maybe this is a limited time offer. <laughs> yeah. But you want to go out to Ultra Pro, uh, get some, throw some stuff in your cart, use code RDTN and get 5% off your order. Shards of Infinity, uh, Killer Bunnies. They got all these games. Oh, my heaven. Tons of stuff out here. See, now I'm going down another little rabbit hole just looking at their, um, how many pages is this? This is a total of 10 pages on games. Uh, Cuban Missile Crisis. We like that game. They've got that. Oh, on yeah, that's right. Yep, enjoyed that. And uh, an upcoming episode, we're going to be talking about Ascension Tactics, uh, who is also from Stoneblade Games and uh, Stoneblade Entertainment. So maybe they'll uh, eventually have that in stock too. They can sell. So, y'all, we're excited. Ultra Pro has been a part of our hobby in some shape or form since probably the 80s. And to be able to work with somebody that we have so much respect for. So we're just thrilled to death to have them have them on board. So show them some love, y'all. If you want to, if you want to help us out by showing that that their investment might be worthwhile, mm-hmm. <laughs> go make sure to uh, go check out some links. We'll have some links in the show notes. Uh, head over there, uh, uh, check them out. Buy some sleeves. Everybody always needs sleeves for not just collectible card games, but just your your games in general. Ways to protect your investment. And Ultra Pro has you. And by the way, I have albums. From the early 90s looked at them all the cards in there crisp they look great the ultra pro sheets are not crinkly they're crisp and clear so they do stand the test of time that's ultrapro.com well kick it kick it the needle got stuck <laughs> if the needle got stuck, it'd be Batman, man, 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 man. 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 <laughs> oh, y'all, we've been talking about this for months. Portal Games announced in their detective series of games a new Batman themed game called Batman Everybody Lies. Tony, you and I sat down. We played this game together. We played the first of four scenarios. That's a prologue plus four other scenarios. We sat down as characters. Catwoman, I played. You played Vicky Vale. Mm-hmm. And we were out to solve a mystery in Gotham City. And that's all we're going to tell you about it. It was a mystery in Gotham City. 
that's really all that we could tell you about it. That's true. Because the thing about Batman is, guess what? It's uh, it, like with every detective game, uh, you want to keep these things a uh, secret of what the story's about and everything. But what we can tell you is, if you enjoy the detective series of games and you enjoy Batman, then I think this is one that you really need to check out because I think, Tony, they really did a good job of bringing you into that universe of Gotham. The art was amazing. I actually mm-hmm. asked Ignacy, I said, okay, we, we played the game and there's some scene cards in this game that's like uh, uh, like comic book panels mm-hmm. uh, from comics and everything. I said, did you get DC artist to do these? He went, no, no. He said, I just had a, a good artist uh, here that uh, could do that for us. It's like, well, dude, I said, it looks like it came straight out of the comic. So he's really pleased with the art. Uh, the art does look great. And I do feel like I was in Gotham. What are you going into when you start playing this game? First off, you're not Batman, as Marty said. There's four characters that you can be, and one of them is not Batman. Yeah, so you have Warren Spacey, mm-hmm. Vicki Vale, Harvey Bullock, and Catwoman. Yes, but you will come across various characters from the Batman universe, like Batman. So if you think my singing's bad, you should hear my Batman impression that Marty got to listen to a card that we were reading. I was Batman. And I felt sorry, so bad for him. I no, was like, it was good. So no, actually, there's in classic detective form, there's different locations you can go to. Mm-hmm. One of those is the Batcave. Yep. And, I'm Batman. And I, I, and I guess, Tony, everybody knows where the Batcave is. <laughs> you got Vicky Bell walking up into the Batcave. I I, actually, this was, this was Catwoman. It was Catwoman that went in there. That's true. Uh, that that would make sense. But see, now we're giving something away. We're, we shouldn't be giving it away. So I, I know, but but that that is just a location card in the game. So there's several locations. Uh, there are several locations in this game that you get to move to for freely. The Gazette. Uh, you get to move to the Gotham City Police Headquarters and stuff like that. But so people may be wondering, well, I've played Detective before. What's different mm-hmm. about this game? Uh, one thing is, it may be streamlined a little bit. There's really only, when you go to the the website, just like every other game, you must have an internet access to get to the to the back computer or the computer that you're going to be using uh, uh, to play the game. And you're going to enter in file numbers. And that's the only thing you're going to be entering in. There's not like fingerprints or DNA or analysis or anything like that. It's strictly file numbers. The, the game is driven through cards uh, that you'll read through, and at the bottom it'll say "read file such and such." In classic detective form, you take some notes, you write down some stuff. Uh, usually, at the end, you'll get some investigation tokens, and that's kind of your main resource, Tony, in the game to be able to move around the city, or or to be able to trade in tokens to get special character tokens. Which, Tony, is actually one difference in this game is personal objectives. When you start out the game, you have a personal objective. Mm-hmm. But I want to build on what you said there as far as what's different from the other detective series. This was probably one of the big things that I enjoyed the most for the game was it seemed easier for me to track how long we've been playing. Okay. All right. So Vienna Connection, Detective, you know, it's been a while. You know, you play them one, done. You, can, you and I, we could probably go back and play them all again and not remember anything. Sure. 100%. 100%. That's so true. I felt like, okay, I exhaust the lead. I move the counter. Ignacy must have been thinking of me because it was simple. I could, okay, did we exhaust that lead? Yeah. So I never felt like I was lost in the time. I guess in detective, there was this complexity of moving the cars around and getting to the locations here. It was simple to go to this location. You just got to 
you can either go there for free or you spend evidence or investigation tokens and an, another character token and you're able to go there. It was so simple. Yeah. I think in the original game, uh, the places that were further away took time to get to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you had to spend time in order to get to certain locations. That kind of concept is kind of gone right here. So the game tracker, the time tracker, the round tracker of the game is really is when you pick a card and you read it, you need to move the tracker every time you pick up a card and, and read it. So the goal is, is try to solve the case before your time runs out, but you're also measured on how well you do. Because at the end of the tracker on the game board, there's a green zone, yellow zone, and red zone. If you could solve the case in the green zone, your score will be higher than you would if you're in the red zone. And also kind of tracks how well that you do too. So uh, you, you can compare it to somebody else. Oh, I solved this case in the yellow zone. How about you? Oh, I solved it in the green. It's like, oh, yeah, 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 whatever. <laughs> Stop flexing on me with how well you do and everybody lies. I was, I was pleasantly surprised at how well we did. Oh, uh, we did pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. It's, this case took, what, about two hours? Yes. The first case? Yeah, even with our speed reading. Oh, whew. Now, y'all, there's a lot of reading. Uh, this, is, this is typical, a lot of reading of the cards, but also a lot of the files that you're going to open up may be newspaper clippings. So you're reading maybe some newspaper articles or other letters and stuff. Again, I don't want to reveal too much, but it's when that you go to the computer, there's a little bit of more, more data that's given to you, and you're... Again, trying to piece together an objective, a main objective for the scenario, plus personal objectives. And this, the personal objectives, that new thing I really liked because it could create a little tension within the group. And here's what I mean is when you want to work on your personal objective, you need to have your character token that you can turn in. To get your character token, you need to turn in Two investigation tokens. Well, remember what I said? Those investigation tokens are kind of the main resource of the game. So those are also used to maybe move around the board and help on the main objective. So you can't hoard all those yourself, Tony, because Mm. if you use all those in order to turn your personal objectives, you're not leaving any in the pool for the main objective. And somebody else may get upset with you for doing that. Yes. You got to work together. Did you feel like we were out solving a mystery here? Did you feel like we were trying to be detectives? I did. And again, it's the personal objectives thing that I also dug too, because I kind of on the side, I knew it's like, like you said, at the very beginning of the scenario, Catwoman, who I played as was given a goal. You, you want to find out this, which is different than your goal. And when you work on your personal objective, you, there is a separate deck of cards that you pull from that gives you information about your own personal objective. That's different from the main objective Mm -hmm. deck. I was so bent on trying to solve the main case. As we were reading these cards, what clues, where are the clues that have been written in here? How is Ignacy trying to get me? Because everybody lies. Every one of these characters I interviewed, I felt that's where I went into the mind is, is they're lying to me. They're not telling me the complete truth. So I guess having watched so many crime shows on CBS that I'm sitting here in that mentality of, you know, I can't trust anybody that you're reading to me. Right. Okay. And when you play these games, if you don't listen intently or get engaged from that standpoint, you can get lost in the story. You may not, you may not pick up on something. So you got to pay attention. That's very important in these games. And I know some people have talked about it in the past and, you know, and eh, I didn't, I wasn't as engaged. You're going to get out of this game, what you put into it. 
100%. And I also think the group that you play with will also make a huge difference too. To me, like I have the same feeling with this game I did with Original Detective. To me, this is get some friends over, get some family over. This plays from two to four players. So you can get up to four people over. Order some pizza, be able to have a place that you can spread out a bunch of evidence cards that you're going to be reading everything and just enjoy yourself for a couple hours and just get into it. If you want to, role play a little bit. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that if you want to really get into the character and in the scene. But like you said, the more you put into it, the more that you'll get out of it. And don't make it so mechanical. Just enjoy it. And you do need to take notes. Tony was scribbling notes for two hours, basically. It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. This person sounds familiar. You need to scroll back through your pages. Go, yep, 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 yep. Early in the game, were you to mention this person right here? And this person was blah, 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 blah. I don't want to say too much. It's like, oh, that's right. So that person couldn't be blah, 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 blah. You know, sort of deal. Mm -hmm. So all that you need to over a course of two hours to be able to track and coordinate all this little bits of information that you get. Because at the very end, when you're saying, okay, do we think we have a solution? Let's go to final report. And then it's going to ask you questions about the main objective. It'll ask each of you questions about your personal objective and at the very end, give you an overall score. You know, the thing is, though, you have all these options of different lead cards that you can follow. It's picking which ones to do that makes the most sense. But a lot of those may be dictated by how many resources do you have? The first time you go to some of these locations, they flip over to the exhausted side. And the next time you go to them, it takes a few more resources. It takes an extra token to get to the exhausted side of a location. Now, once you do, it flips back to the unexhausted side. It's one of those things. Every time you go back to a place you've been to at least once, it's a little bit tougher to get to. It's going to take some more resources. So you want to make sure to be as efficient as you can with that resource pool that you have. So again, if you like Detective and you like Batman, I think this is a really good two merging of these two different types of things. I think the art is really good. You get a good group of people to sit down and play. If you know this universe, oh, there's little Easter eggs in here. Uh, I love seeing that there's a map of Gotham mm-hmm. so that you can kind of look around different locations within Gotham. And if you know the DC comics, you know Batman, you'll see these little Easter eggs of names of places and everything, which I really also enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important for everybody to realize because when I first saw this and did do a lot of reading into it until, you know, uh, it started to become a reality uh, for this game coming out. I was thinking you were going to be, I was like, how are we going to work together as Batman? Am I going to be Robin and, and right. so forth? But no, you're people who are working and it's their speciality. That's Vicki Vale. She's, you know, at the newspaper, it's Catwoman going into the underground. It's the detective for the police station. He's got certain access. So that's the key information you need to be pulling out from that is as you're playing that character. You, that's your trait. That's what you're going to be using and being it. And so you assign that to the people so that they can become engaged and involved. And I know this is bad of me, but it, it is what it is. Vienna connection. It was hard for me to follow with some of those names mm-hmm. because they were Russian names. Nothing. I mean, it's just, sure. My, I couldn't, you're just not used to hearing those Russian names in everyday vernacular. Right. So it was hard for me to keep track, even with my notes. How did you spell that? What I was even having trouble to do with this, with this game, you were, you said, what was it? A name that you said, and I'm like, who? Moody? No, not Moody. It was this. Huh? What? How do you spell that? So it's, it's important. But yeah, you're right. The, the notes were very important. I, I like the setting. Be interesting to see how we do on future ventures. So I'd be curious to see, hey, if it does well, maybe we'll get some more adventures uh, within Gotham City. Uh, so a, again, it looks great. 
plays great. It is probably a little more streamlined to me than Detective. I like that. I like that too. I think I think it's easier to jump into the game because the rules look more straightforward. Because it's it's about the stuff that you're reading and the people that you're playing with and not having to manage the actual game itself. The game gets you into the story, then it's up to you to go through it and complete it. So that is Batman. Everybody lies from Portal Games, plays two to four players, about two to three hours per scenario by designers Veronica Spira and Ignacy Shevichek. And this game would not be up for the running of the Squirrelies for best game we didn't play. We played it. All right, you just heard us talk about Batman Detective, so you may be wondering, so so, 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 so where can I get this and pre-order it? Well, you can head over right now to portalgamesus.com, which will take you to portalgames.pl slash en if you speak English, and you can get the game right now. You can buy Batman Everybody Lies, which we just talked about as the new game in the Detective series line of games. Also, you might want to pre-order Gutenberg, which is a totally different type of game. They're bringing over that Euro game to the U.S., which I'm excited about because I heard some great things from Essen, so I can't wait to play it. So you have that. You got coming up around Gen Con, you got Brazil, which I am super excited about, Tony, because it's called, get this, it's called a Euro X. So the idea is that it's a 4X game mixed with a Euro and it's by a Brazilian designer. The art looks absolutely amazing. That's what drew me into it. The art looks so cool. And I know with our game group, Tony, they like 4X games. They like Euro games. So if this really works of a Euro X game, uh, this is going to be a big hit for our group for sure. So there you go. Batman, everybody lies. Go pre-order it coming out soon. If not right now, Gutenberg coming out in June. And then keep an eye out for Brazil that's going to be coming out later in the summer. So many great things going on at Portal. And y'all, I don't think they're done yet. So head over to PortalGamesUS.com. Five minute initiative begins in three, two, one we got on the table a game a blast from the past galaxy trucker from vlado shivado from um cge here's the rules build a ship explore the verse collect victory points all you need to know about the rules marty because there's a lot of things about putting your ship together and you got to follow those rules yeah so the, i mean it's really interesting i've played this game the once and that was many many years ago when i went to dragon con i think it was like 2011 2012 so i only got to play it one time so i don't remember much about it so when you retaught the rules of basically oh you got all these uh tiles that are turned face down in the middle of the table and then you're going with one hand you're going to flip it over and try to build up your ship it's like okay so why it's like well marty because we're going to be facing these cards that i've dealt up out, out here this may do things to you that you you might get some some really cool cargo that provides you victory points, or you might have somebody that's trying to, these meteors that you're trying to deal with. I went, okay. He said, yeah. So Marty, what you want to do is make sure your ship has some lasers. Lasers. those asteroids. Oh, oh, okay. I'll do that. Make sure you have some storage base for collecting those resources to get your victory points. Oh, 
Okay, I'll do that too. Well, Marty, hold on. You need to make sure you have like pods for people to be in because you might need to send people to a planet to get those resources. Oh, okay. Oh, Marty, wait a minute. You need shields? Jeez, Tony, oh, what for? Well, because if something hits you, you don't want to take damage. Okay, I'll do that too. Oh, Marty, you need engines. Okay, well, that one makes sense. All right, go. Okay, so I started going to building a ship. And then when somebody finished, they flipped over a stopwatch or a, 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 timer, a sand yeah. timer. They were, we were limited to how quick we had to finish the ships. And then when we were done, it's like, okay, let's see how we did with all those cards. It was like, whew, that was a whirlwind. It was all, it, but it's fun. I'm sorry. It, it is fun. It's it fun. It is fun. And I was really stressed out because there are all these little rules that you have about what needs to connect to what and everything. And then <laughs> what was so funny is uh, we played with Mark who's played before. And after we finished the first round, you said, okay, let's make sure everybody has valid tiles on their card or something like that. And it's like, yeah, Mark, you, you can't have these two edges up against each other because there's a certain rule that you can't have a a, a connector to a blank space and went, Oh, so you had to remove that. Or what was cool, Tony was if you have like a whole section of tiles that's held onto the ship just by one connector and you take damage, you lose all those tiles. There's all those tiles. It's all, they're all, they're floating away in space. So you're going to take negative and your engines, when your engines are firing, it's a race to get back because you are, you're picking up some cargo and bringing it home. And whoever gets home first gets more victory points. And you actually play it over three rounds. Uh-huh. So as the, the ships get bigger and better, better, sorry, bigger and better, but also the the people out there are trying to take your stuff and meteor storms are getting more intense. So there's a lot more to it. And probably one of the things that I like about this game that, uh, you know, I always encounter is when you draw a tile, you don't have to play it. You can put it back on mm. the pile face up so others can get it. Like I don't have a place because the minute you take a second tile, whatever's on your, wherever you place that one on your board, it has been welded into spot. So I like that. You're able to draw, look at it and say, I don't want this put away. Maybe I'll come back to get it. But you also risk someone else will now see it. So this race is constantly going on. Knowing, learning the cards. That's the challenge for all of this game. How the cards interact, how the meteors work, how the pirates work, what you're going to do. The combat cards were hilarious. That's our, so what did we come out of this game with? probably one of our favorite stories for the year is going to be how Mark took a shot up the back end and it destroyed <laughs> his ship. Cause he had no shields back there or no lasers or anything. Cause here's the thing that's really interesting too, right? Is, is when a meteor comes your way, you got to roll dice and uh, you're placing your, your tiles on a numbered grid on your board. And the die will tell you which direction that meteor or something's coming from. So you want to make sure maybe that you have firepower up to, oh, I didn't we didn't mention this one. You gotta have batteries to power mm -hmm. your shields and your so there's all these little things you gotta keep track of. I didn't realize this. So this game first came out in 2007. I didn't realize it was that old. And this version that we just got is a brand new re-release. And if you have the original, here's the difference between the two. Uh there's new art, more ship tiles, tweaked card effects, and streamlined gameplay that consists of only a single flight through space, but you may want a longer challenging experience where you do a three-flight game, which is where you can have to do the different ships. So I love just the single-flight games. That's one of those you can just sit down, do a single flight on a single ship, and just kind of uh, reset and repeat sort of deal. And I can see where this is one. It plays, you know, two to four players, and I can see where this Donna loves her carcass on, so I can see where she and I would be doing this. This is a, one of those. It's a, it's a fun game. Yeah. 
and what, what a single flight maybe what takes 20 minutes, mm-hmm. 20, 30 minutes at the most. Once you know the cards, it only takes 20 minutes. Uh, the biggest time is basically building your ship. And if somebody's really, really good at building their ship, it'll go a lot quicker. <laughs> yes, it will. If they know how the pieces, that's one thing. If you play against someone who knows all the various pieces and what, and how they connect, they will, they will mow through that. And that's, that's, yep. that's one of those things. That's okay. So really enjoyed it. That is galaxy trucker. This is the real release from, uh, CGE games. I'm sorry. Check games edition. It's not CGE games. It's, yeah, well, I think they go for CGE for short. CGE for short, and this is from designer Vlada Shavado. Five-minute initiative is complete. Marty, I was so excited to have people over to the house to play one of the games we're getting ready to talk about here. I got to show off my game topper to the scurry reporters, Mark and Nate, and I was able to throw it out, get the table out, put it on top of another table so you wouldn't spill a bunch of stuff. I had that game topper all scotch guarded so you wouldn't tear it up. And my wife was excited. She made y'all lemon cake and I knew it wouldn't stain the game topper because everything was done and that game looked amazing on the game topper. Why am I talking about the game topper? I was asking you a question. I that don't was know, not Tony. Rhetorical. I don't know. There's three people topper. sitting here. We don't know who you're talking to. <laughs> it doesn't matter if somebody chime in, or is this just like a normal game day when the four of us get together? We all just sit around and look at each other. Oh, that, that could be it. Yeah, so first off, Nate and Mark, welcome back. I haven't realized this, but because of the, the all the pandemic stuff, we all haven't got together and recorded since April 7th, 2020. And for those who don't know, uh, Mark and Nate are uh, uh, some of our gaming buddies, along with our other, other buddy, Bert. And these two guys will come on and do a deep dive of a game, especially one that we feel deserves some expertise and intelligence that Tony can't provide. So, guys, welcome back. Well, why aren't they on constantly? Yeah. Well, that's fair. That's fair. That's a, that's an actual point there. So yeah, y'all came over. It was a great day of gaming. Are you going to let them talk, Tony? No, I'm trying I'm to throw it to them to let them talk some. Mark, kick us off. All right. Well, thanks, guys. It's good to be back. Yeah, and uh, Tony, yeah, we, we had a great time playing at your house. The Minter Cheese was excellent. The, uh, the Lemon Cake was excellent. Uh, it was great to play on a game topper. That really just makes a game day uh, to have that there, to hold your cards, have the uh, cup holders and uh, the felt on the table. It, it was really nice. I uh, really enjoyed it. It's great to be back uh, among other people getting to play games. Hey, I was just glad y'all came over. I mean, you know, it was a great day until that very last. Well, it was a great day for Nate. He he continued his streak, Marty. Uh, yeah, and, and we'll get into, into that too. Mm. But uh, yeah, so why are we talking about Game Topper? Number one, because we enjoyed our experience on it. That's the first time, Tony, I've played on the one that you have. Mm-hmm. I remember when I first sat down, it's like, I've got a drink. What am I going to do with this drink? And you said, well, here you go. I put this little attachment into the rail here. 
and you got a little cup holder and I said, like, Ooh, sweet. So we all had those. So, uh, it was, it was very nice, very sturdy. And the reason why I talk about it is because there is a Kickstarter going on right now. And it's going to go through May 27th. Now, uh, Berkey, uh, who owns Game Topper said, this is this Kickstarter 3.5. This is only a very short uh, Kickstarter that the focus is going to be on the Mycroft, which is a four by six table, their largest, but now the leg kit is compatible. And now all of us have talked about, it's like Tony had it on the table and everything, but it was a tad tall. He said, we wish this was a couple inches lower. Well, guess what? If you buy a game topper, you can buy a leg kit to attach on it and get the perfect height for yourself. I didn't have any issues, but I'm not short like y'all. Well, that's fair. Oh, that, that shut him up right there. I <laughs> shut it down. That's happened right there. I got nothing. I mean, <laughs> it, it, apparently oh. you are correct. And what game did we get to play on that incredible game topper? That was Crescent Moon from Osprey Games, Marty. It took up the whole table. I'll give it that. Here's what's interesting about it. It took up the whole table, but it wasn't the map that took up the whole table. The map was actually pretty small. It's the card market that took up the whole table. Yeah. So this is from uh, Osprey Games, the designer, Stephen Mathers. The artist is Navid Rahman. I especially want to mention him because... This has a Middle Eastern Arabic theme to it, and the art style is really uh, a lot like the art style you'd see in the Middle East and everything, and it's, it's colorful. It's just absolutely gorgeous, so a great job from the uh, the artist there. And uh, so, so, guys, when y'all read the rules and we were reading this, we are like, okay, this reminds us of some other games. This, this is a game that has some area control. They're, each faction's asymmetric. It only plays four or five players. As we sat down, each of us said, well, this reminds me of this. This reminds me of this. Nate, what did it remind you of? Yeah, so after reading the the rules and especially the asymmetric faction, like powers, so to speak, the, the first impression for me was 2009's Chaos in the Old World by Eric Lang. Not all the asymmetric factions kind of struck me that way, but the Warlord in Crescent Moon pretty much to me, felt very similar to Corn faction in Chaos in the Old World. So much so that when we went to select factions beforehand, we were like, well, we only need to pick the other three because we know which one Mark is going to play, the Corn-like the faction, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, uh, I, I was in quick agreement with Nate after I read the rules, and, and that's my faction that I play when we do Chaos in the Old World. And I was completely fine with playing Warlord because it was all me, my style. Yeah, and there were a couple other games, uh, but that one was the first one for sure. What other uh, games did you guys think it reminded you of? Uh, mine was, uh, there was three, actually. Uh, one was Pax Pamir, uh, and that's because of the card mechanic uh, are similar. And they also both play on uh, fairly small, fairly tight uh, area control boards. Uh, and then it also, uh, the economy reminded me of like TI4 or Rex slash Dune in that, you know, one, one player seems to get a lot of money. Uh, other players don't really get much money, but they don't really care about it. And then another player gets money from players doing something within the game. And so that aspect of it reminded me of those games. Yeah. And actually like, I hadn't really thought about it until you mentioned Dune and Rex, but uh, Crescent Moon has a mostly uh, closed economy system where, like, when you buy cards, 
you pay the player whose color card is. We'll get into it later, but it's a it's a semi closed system, kind of similar. To, I think Dune and Rex are completely closed, but it did it did feel that way. And one player is great has a vastly better economy than the others. And to me, it reminded me of a couple of games. I think one of the most obvious when people sit down and play this, it's going to have it's going to remind them of Root. Root's a very popular game. Uh, you have uh, very much asymmetric factions. They all play totally different. A lot of it has to do with it. There's some combat, there's some area control, and you're all trying to get victory points. So I think Root's going to be a common comparison. I said it also reminded me of coin games, like uh, Kuba Libra, which I've taught you all how to play. And the reason why is because there's two concepts there. There's control of spaces. You basically have hex tiles on the board. Each time you set up the map, there you can use a random generated map or they have suggestions for map in the back. But if you control uh, a hex tile, there, there's... you called to have control, but you can also influence a tile. And that influence control is very much like Cuba Libra, where there's somebody may control it, but somebody else may influence it. And so it reminded me of that one. Tony, did it remind you of anything? So I'm not as deep as y'all, which is obvious. <laughs> so for me, I was sitting here thinking, did it remind me of anything? Not off the bat, but later I was thinking, how could this not be small world-ish? Okay. Because you had uh, asymmetric factions, you had area control, you had battles, the map, you had adjacencies that you had to deal with, just like in Small World. And I'm, so I'm like, okay, for my simple brain, that's what it means. That's 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 what it reminded me of. No, I'm picking up what you're putting down. I appreciate you, Mark. <laughs> I appreciate you. So before we get into this, Tony, you are the best at very succinct, concise rules. How do you play this game? Well, which faction do would you like me to discuss? Well, ju- just the basic. Every faction plays totally different, right? But p- pretty much just the basic, you know, what's the turn structure like? Mm-hmm. And what's the goal here? Oh, man, the goal. It was intense. It took a lot of time for us to understand, but it was to get the most victory points. Oh. Mm. Amazing. I know. So, so ingenious. Yeah. And it wasn't like the, the victory points all came at the end. No. Every faction had its own way of getting victory points, so there was the complication yeah. of this game. There you go. And that also reminded me of coin games, too, is because each faction in, like, Cuba Libra has uh, different ways of getting uh, victory points or measuring their their progress in victory points. Here, it is sort of really at the end of the game, whoever has the most uh, wins. But like you said, Tony, you really can't go over what each faction does because they are kind of different. Some of them have some of the similarities, a bunch of moving and stuff like that, but this game is broken up over years. Mm-hmm. In the basic game, there's three years, and everybody gets four turns per year. For a whole game, you're only getting 12 turns, which we found out was pretty tight. Yeah, and, and you're taking an action, and they're all there on that nice player aid. Osprey Games, excellent player aids. Yeah, so it's it's also each round is broken up into different phases also. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just kind of jumped straight to the, the player actions. but. Right. So actually for this, I think this worked out really well. So before the game started, everybody picked their own factions. Like Mark, you picked Warlord. They have these really nice inserts or these uh, individual faction sheets. And I copied those and sent them to all of y'all. And we all kind of came in and sat down and knew how to play our faction and was able to explain it to others what to expect. I, I don't know if we knew how. Only one person really knew how to play this game. <laughs> <laughs> and who was that, think- Tony? It wasn't me. Uh, okay. Not me. Mm-mm. I I felt like we all knew how to play, and uh, I might have stumbled into a victory here or there, but stumbled into a victory. No, I I did know. I I had a good grasp of the rules. To to, to Marty's point, this game 
you know, you could. It's one of those games where if you play coin games and other area area control games, you're going to be at home with many of the rules. It has some complexity, some juicy bits to really sink your teeth into. But I didn't find it overly difficult to learn. But the asymmetry, just like root, is the barrier to entry. But the actual how to play, it didn't, wasn't that hard to pick up, honestly. How to win? Now, it took us the full two plays to figure that out, right? Like, But that's okay. That's part of the joy of like exploring a game like this. I still don't know how to win. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, let's be fair. Only one person knows how to win because they won both games, and that was There Nate. you go. But I do agree, Tony, that the uh, the player aids were excellent. Uh, they yeah. they were very uh, succinct. Is that the word I'm looking for? Mm-hmm. Sure. Concise, succinct, and uh, and and were you able just to look at your player aid and figure out you know what you what you needed to do and where your faction needed to go? What stood out about this game to y'all? I've got an easy one, and it applies to all factions because it applies to the game. So Marty mentioned that this game, you only get 12 actions. And there are pluses and minuses of that. But the biggest plus is you get to play a big area control coin-style game. Even com- comparing it to Root is apt. But it pl- the playtime was very low for this type of game for the complexity and the strategy that was used we played i, I forget exactly what our play times were but the first play time was what hour do you guys remember two hours two hours for the first one and then the second game we finished in 90 minutes 90 minutes, 90 minutes. and here's what's going to throw people off because if they go to bgg right now and look at crescent moon it's going to say 150 minutes to 180 minutes now, we only played four player. So if there was right. a fifth player sitting there, they, that would be 12 extra actions that were taken. So I did some quick math. We In that second game, we did about two minutes per action on average. And if we throw in the fifth player and we all average the same amount, then it's only two hours. Yeah. So don't be afraid by that 150 to 180. I think once you understand the game, you can get it in two hours to 90 minutes because we did it. Now, there is a longer version of the game. You can play one right. more year and everybody gets four extra actions. So th- maybe, maybe that's taken into consideration for the time. But I really felt like to be able to bring this to game night on Thursday or Wednesday and get this done, this kind of game done in two hours or even three hours is is really sets it apart. And it played well. You know, it felt, felt good at that time frame. Oh, I didn't ever felt like there was hardly any downtime. Literally, when it comes to your turn, you got your faction sheet. And there's different things that you can do. Everybody, Every faction has some common ones. Typically, you can move. You've got pieces on the board. You can move into areas. If you move into areas, something may happen. You may have to do some sort of conflict, a combat or a, an influence uh, conflict. Uh, you, can, you can build. Everybody had the option to, to build buildings and put them on the board. You can, like I said, assault. You can uh, attack other people. Uh, some of the factions, you can recruit. Uh, get some more of your uh, military onto the board. But all of them, all those actions are tweaked maybe a tad for each of the factions. So they're not all exactly the same. Yeah. And I'll, I'll just kind of keep going on my, my point a little bit. All those actions and even the phases like the income and prep phase and the scoring phase afterwards and all those actions, including the battles, are all very quick. I don't know about you guys, but to me, the downtime for the complexity of actions felt really good and definitely sets this game apart also. It's a little bit surprising, actually, because the board state can change a fair amount. You know, unless someone's buying cards, 
the board state can change a fair amount before it gets to your turn. But you're you're right. We did not have a lot of downtime. We couldn't have with with the ninety minute playtime. One thing I think was really interesting too was okay. So you got you got a typical actions people call it dudes on the map or whatever. You're moving pieces around on the board. Uh, there's these conflicts, which we'll talk about in a second. Uh, took us a while to kind of a couple times to go through the different types of conflicts and how they work. And we'll explain that in, in a second. One thing we had really talked about is that card market, which is the biggest table hog <laughs> on there because there's a whole line of cards. There's uh, different values of cards. It's one of those things where the the far left has a higher priced cards and the far right's less priced cards. And as you buy cards, they all slide to the right, et cetera. What was really unique about that was that Everybody had their own color card that was associated with their faction, except for one of the factions called the Sultan. And if you went and bought somebody else's card, you gave the money straight to that person or the, of the other faction. If you bought your own card, you bought it at half price. But what I think was interesting was, Nate, the first time that you played the Merced, Merced? Yeah, the Merced. We real quickly noticed, like, there are way more Merced cards than any other faction. That faction's gonna, probably going to collect more money because of the fact that people are going to be buying that faction's cards. But the Merced is going to have more cards as an option to get into his hand. And they always had a lot of cards in their hand. I think the cooler cards are the Merced cards. And there's just a, the distribution in the deck is, is asymmetrical, like uh, many other things in the game, which is really... Going back to Tony's original question, what what makes this game cool? That's cool. And then compare that to the Sultan. The Sultan had their own little market of cards of three cards. When they went and bought a card, they could just get any of those cards just for free. If somebody else wanted the Sultan's cards, you had to make a deal. Now, this does have some diplomacy, some negotiation built into the game, which I also appreciated. One of those was whoever's playing the Sultan, another person goes, hey, I really want that card right there. What will you sell it to me for? Start wheeling and dealing. And uh, also, uh, when you go into conflicts, if somebody else is there, especially the Mercy, this is another thing about the Mercy. If they're adjacent to a place where a conflict's going, that faction can actually help influence a conflict. And thus, there's some buying, especially that first game. People were, Nate, people were just giving you victory points. Dude, please support me. Please support me. Yeah, there was one like pivotal battle that Mark was mm. uh, participating actually started as the warlord <laughs> and i uh, allowed mark to bribe me five victory points in return for me playing some cards for him and calling the tie break in his favor uh unfortunately for the warlord the battle did not necessarily go his way but i yeah he still won but he didn't take the province i still got the five victory points and the rest is history yeah that was a big mistake Tank my whole tank my whole first game. It was epic. We were talking about it all afternoon long. Yeah, it was awesome. But it was also like it was like the first big battle. So it's like okay, let's push some buttons and pull some levers. Yeah, that's see true. how this works. And uh, yeah, I probably shouldn't have done that. So in this game, probably one of the more complicated or confusing things for me was the difference between control and influence. And presence. And presence. I mean, <laughs> I mean, some people completely overlook presence. He's talking about me. I missed, totally misread a rule for playing Sultan about when they have presence. Yes, that was me. Because when Nate sat down and played it, he went, oh, Marty, you do realize that these buildings that you can build, 
uh, you have presence in this hex of one of those buildings there. Went, Son of a gun. Marty at the end of the game was like, this faction's the worst. Mm-hmm. I don't get it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how they can do. Yeah. It is difficult to understand those three layers, Tony, for sure. But I think you explained it very well, Nate. It's like, you can have influence in a region without having control, right? Yes. Okay. And that was the thing that you had to, and with the cards, there were these influence battles which could help various factions do certain things. And then control, you have an army there. Now, and see, now I'm getting confused in my head. Are buildings control? Well, they're military buildings. Military buildings. Wooden pieces are control was the way that we, it took us a while to get there, but that's, that was our easiest understanding. Your faction colored wooden pieces were military, including discs and buildings. And established control, therefore. Anyone who's played coin games are like smiling right now because this is like, kind of an, a a pillar of coin games, I believe. You know, like control and presence, influence, you know, different layers, basically. What was so important about influence? Because the factions I played, I played the Warlord and I played the blue faction, the Kafil, Caliph. Caliph. I believe. The influence didn't matter to me that much. What was the key about the influence other than negotiating or controlling ties? What was it? The Murshid and the... Uh, sultan factions objectives re- relate to influence. The best way I can kind of describe it is, and part of what makes this game so great, is it's an area control game, but there are two layers. You have your standard control layer, which is like dudes on a map and fortresses and castles, but you also have the influence layer that overlays that. And, and it's equally as important to two factions. And establishing control of influence over areas gets them victory points, just like control does. It's a little more difficult to kind of grasp, but equally powerful. Mm -hmm. Because if you had influence and no one had control, then you could do something in that area. Well, it's asymmetric, like different Mm -hmm. factions could do different things. But for the Mershid, it definitely gave them a lot of power. And in that first game, I established influence over a wide swath of the land, pretty much uncontested. Kind of, we all learned like, oh, okay, influence is super important too. Well, that's the asymmetric part of the game, right? I mean, influence is important to the Mercy because they're going to get points. And it's easy to understand the Warlord, you know, all all you have to do is spam pieces on the board and hold hold spots, you know, to get control. And it seems like the uh, Blue Faction... They were about control, but they were about control by buildings. And mm-hmm. that's how they they got their victory points. Right. But the warlord, you know, the victory points were only if you were sacking and pillaging and destroying. You get both. But yeah, that yeah. was the majority of the points. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of the, that's kind of the four different factions. Now, one that we're ta- talking about is the nomad. And the reason why we aren't talking about it, because that only comes up in a five player game, which I am really jonesing to play a five player game. Because the Nomad has access to all these mercenaries that he can then give to people. And in the end, the mercenary, I think one of the things they can generate victory points is to, I mean, the Nomads, is to turn in money for victory points. Yeah, so you want people buying your mercenaries, which Mm -hmm. are very important because they'll help you win the battle. So you're looking at the warlords or you're looking at someone trying to keep the warlords out. I've got a uh, Crescent Moon joke. Are you guys ready for this? All right, let's do it. All right. The Sultan walks into the bar and the bartender says, what's wrong? You don't look very happy. What did the Sultan say? Nomad. Yeah, you can edit that one out. 
<laughs> I thought it was going to be this really good joke. I didn't know what he's making all well, the time. Well, your standards were way too high. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I talked about earlier about the different types of uh, contests. There's combat, there's influence. And both of them have some of the same ways that you're going to go into it. Those cards that we that you bought earlier that I talked about, uh, some of those provide you benefits when you're uh, in combat. Maybe they boost your attack strength or during an influence contest, they uh, boost your influence. And both uh, the attacker or the defender or the supporter uh, or defenders from for the influence can play cards. And there's ways you add up the influence of other pieces that's in that area. And the person with the, uh, do you have to exceed? I guess it depended on who was the attacker, who was the defender. Yeah, typically uh, attacker wins, but the Mershid can always break ties if they have influence nearby. So that throws wrinkles into the whole system. Right. But what I was going to say is once you go through a couple of these contests, again, it flows really quickly and it's very deterministic. The only thing you really don't know is what does my opponent have in his hand of cards that might could help them? I also liked some of the, the cards too in that some of them were like, I'm going to call them instants. You play them and then they go away. But some cards, when you play them, they're on the table. And when you use them, you tap them, uh, which is great. But you don't get to use those cards again until the beginning of the next year. And then they reset. So I really like that, too. So you might go into a battle trying to get your opponent to use the cards that are on the table that you see, knowing it's like, please use them because I'm going to do another attack right after this. And you won't have access to those powers anymore. Yeah, and I thought the combat system was great. It actually reminds me of another game we haven't talked about yet, Game of Thrones, where you have a hand of cards, you secretly select one, and the combat strength is like, everybody knows what the fixed number is. It's just down to like, you know, what cards you each play. And then, like to Marty's point, trying to bait out some of those powerful cards for a follow-up attack, and then you get some of the cards back. It was a, it was a really cool system. And also, like, baiting out, you could, uh, some of the cards were, uh, I don't remember exactly, but characters, basically, they were people in your hand. Those were the ones that would come back. But there's also assassinate cards that you can play to knock those out of people's hands permanently so they don't get that back. So often the Mershid player is playing into it. So you have like three different people playing for different sides. It's just, yeah, I really love the combat in this game. Again, it's one of those things that when you read it, you go, oh, what's going on here? walk through it a couple times, and then, honestly, uh, eventually, it, it does become second nature. I also thought it was really cool, too. I was going to ask you the, the reason for this. So at the end of the first year, everybody has what they call first-year scoring objectives. You only check for this once. At the end of the first year, if you've met certain objectives, you get victory points. I was wondering, why do they do that? Because in both games we played, all of us always got our first-year objectives. And I started wondering... Do you think maybe the reason why is because those first year objectives kind of put you on the path of the way that faction is supposed to be played so that you're kind of set up for the next two years? I'll jump in. And I, th I think absolutely. To me, it was clear that in complex strategy games, the most common playtester like complaint is, OK, you taught me how to play. What do I do? First turn, like, I, I don't know what to do. And so you want to leave some breadcrumbs, in my opinion, to guide a player into things that are beneficial, especially with asymmetric factions, but that also kind of give them some flexibility in how they accomplish that. And I think Crescent Moon does a stellar job uh, of doing this. It says, you need to do this, this, and this. It doesn't tell you how to do it, but it tells you by the end of turn year one, you should be doing these things. 
And I, and we all did them, and none of us had that problem in very complex games where your first turn or two sets you back so far, you can't compete later on. None of us felt like we were out and hopeless, right? The whole time. Right. It's one of those things after the game was over, I just started thinking, what was the whole purpose of the first year scoring? Because none of us had any issue of doing it. None of us barely scraped by. It's like it was pretty easy. And then I started realizing when I went back and looked at the first year scoring objectives that they really do set you up for success yeah. in the next two years. Yeah, I was, uh, I, I kind of took it personal though. I was like, okay, I figure if, if I don't have five spots by the end of the first turn, you suck. That's basically what the designer's telling you, right? Like, <laughs> it's like you might this is basic. Just roll over, man. Just roll over if you don't have that first turn. One of the things about this game that um, we played with these, they've got some predetermined maps, but they also have the capability of drafting out maps where players will get a certain number of tiles and they'll be able to put those out there. I like that aspect of the game where you won't always be stuck with set maps. And also, for me, I think one of the nice things was it was just fast. I wasn't having yeah. to walk around my house looking at my board games or playing getting my Switch. Y'all <laughs> kept me entertained, and that, that was important to me. And you all should know how much that means coming from Tony. Like, if yeah. he was engaged for a two-hour game, mm-hmm. to me, like, I watch Tony, like, I watch a playtester. I'm like, if Tony's engaged, this game is awesome. Like, it's doing his job. I will say, you talked about this is good for a game night where you only have, like, two hours, two, three hours. Setup is really nothing. You, mm-hmm. you pick which map you want. It tells you exactly what pieces to put on the board. Osprey gives you some great little drawstring bags that every faction has all their stuff in one bag. You lay it out. You, you're kind of set to go. The only thing that t- takes a while is honestly just dealing out the cards onto mm-hmm. the market, and that's pretty much it. So uh, I, will, I will step back just a minute on to the, the maps that you were talking about, what that Tony is. Uh, so the, I thought the first map was good. I didn't like the second map. No, second map yeah, wasn't. I any think good. we made a, a bad choice with that one. Uh, it took the the river out of play, so the the river actually breaks up adjacency between the tiles and makes it harder to move on the map. And the second second map that we had, it didn't have all the river was on one side, so it basically didn't exist, and nothing broke up the adjacency. And I think it really uh, changed the game. I think you need that uh, that river in there to break things up a little bit. One reason why it messed it up is because there are actually cards in the market called ship cards that allow you to cross that river. Those cards had no value at all, so they were clogging up the market. Yeah, and also to Tony's point, I I would be if we play this well when ho- hopefully when we play this again, I want to draft the map. So that calls back to like TI, right? Yep. Drafting a map and placing hexes out. It's almost like you can start to feel like these designers took some of the best parts of all these games that we love and like cobbled it into this little two hour thing, which I, I'm, I'm here for it. But yeah, the drafting the map hexes and having modular maps is so cool. And in fact, uh, I talked about how small the map was on a four player game. The map size is only 13 tiles, 13 hex tiles. That's not a lot. I hadn't thought about it, but Small World actually, it, it makes me feel like Small World where I can't get away from you guys. You're on top of me. Like, and the interaction is like knives in a telephone booth almost. Like, you, it's, it's very tight. And I can't stress enough the fact is there is negotiations. If you're going to play this game, come in playing to talk to people to help you out. Hey, dude, look, could, could you help me out here? Especially the Mercy. That's, that's what they're all about. You know, it's like, it could be, look, please don't come over here. Do not come attack me. Can't you see what this person's getting ready to do over here? We need to work together towards that person. Again, 
That reminds me of Cuba Libra, because you could see when one person was starting to run away from it, the other three factions go, okay, we got to reach out and pull this guy back down to us. And I think the same thing happens with this game. And the game relies on that too, right? Like you need to be able to recognize who's kind of ahead or who has a dominant position, try to knock them down. And also you have to negotiate with folks. Uh, and so that might be a good point is like people who don't like those kind of games, games that have negotiation or where you have to knock the leader down to size and it relies on the players to balance the game almost. You know, if you don't like area control games like that, you're not going to like Crescent Moon. And I t- talked about the scoring. I do want to emphasize too that after every year, there's a scoring round. So every round you're going to be scoring. And every round, you're going to be constantly looking at your faction sheet. So how do I get points? There are lots of ways to get points. There's primary ways to get points. There's secondary ways to get points. And you're just going to try to do the best you can with those. Also, all victory points are face down. So unless you're really good at counting what other people get, you really don't know how you're going to do until the very end of the game. So here's a question for everybody. I loved this game so much. I can't stop thinking about it. I want to play five players so bad. We need to get our buddy Bert together and, and play the five player game and see how this works. Brute has been one of the hottest games in years. It continues to sit there at the on top of the BGG hotness. It's going to get compared to Root. If I was to put both those games in front of you right now, which one would you prefer to play? I would play Crescent Moon. Reasons? Mainly because I think I know how to play all the factions in Crescent Moon, and I'm not sure I know how to play any of the factions in Root. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> I think Mark's onto something. I'm not. Sh- I like Root a lot, but I'm not sure why. But that game feels harder to learn than Crescent Moon, and feels longer than Crescent Moon. I don't think it's that much more interesting. Like I think they might be equal interesting. Crescent Moon might be easier to learn and might be quicker. If you compare those like apples to apples like that, I would take the quicker and easier to learn one. Yeah, and I, the quicker uh, gameplay also would play into that. Yeah, play it to play it quicker than Root. I also feel like Root lacks a little bit of the multiple layers of area control like Crescent Moon does. It does some different things with asymmetry. I, I really like what Cole um, Worley did with Root, but he definitely kind of I think got rid of some of the complexity of queen games that Crescent Moon necessarily doesn't. One thing I do like, I think I like combat better in this game than root because of the dice rolls and root. Yeah. Uh, that's just another random thing that you have to deal with in combat. Like I said, in combat here, aside from what, you know, you may not know what is in your opponent's hand of cards. Well, you might, again, if you can keep up with people been buying, uh, you might know what's in their hand and make, kind of a good idea. It's like, well, if I go into the battle with this person, I think I got a good chance of winning. Whereas in Root, eh, it could come down to a dice roll. Yeah, I like playing the play. Like, we had a few key combats where it was like, is Marty going to play the Siege Engines or not? And you're playing the player at that point. It's down to who who can bluff one another the better or strategize better. I don't know. It, it was much more interesting to me. Tony, would you not pick up your Switch if we played Root? I think you do. Well, if I pick up my Switch, I can play Root on my Switch. Uh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Two games of Root at one time. And I'm not saying this is a Root killer by any no. means. Nobody yeah. said, oh, Marty, you're just saying, no. I do think if Root wasn't around and this came out, I really think it would take take everybody by storm. 
I think it's going to be compared to Root a lot to where to the detriment of this game. And I hope that's not the case because I too would probably prefer this over Root. Yeah. And and to be fair, they're they're pretty different. Like theme is very different, right? This is more akin to coin or Cuba Libre, like we talked we played most recently, and it's we even compared the factions like almost on a one to one basis with Cuba Libre, which was hilarious. That's right, because uh, the Sultan, I kept saying, was uh, it's green, yeah. which is like the syndicate in Cuba Libre. In the syndicate, you want as many casinos open as possible. In the Sultan, you want to build as many towns and cities as possible. You don't care whether you have it. You don't care whether you have influence. You just want them there because they generate money. But the thing is, like the casinos in Cuba Libre, if somebody else... Is was it had control there? Yeah, they would get money from your buildings. Right. So you got to be careful. It's like crap. If I put a building here, they're going to benefit from it, you know. Too. Y'all have got to teach me how to play Cuba Libre. Oh, you haven't? I forgot you haven't played. No, I'm sorry to put pour salt in the wound. Ah, uh, no, I need to learn though. I need to learn. So if Tony will have us back to his place, that's that's a perfect. He's got a perfect location to set up Cuba Libre and pray. I, I can, I've now taught it several times. I think I got it down now. Actually, Nate could teach it now too. So, and we have some more minter cheese and ham sliders and some lemon no. cheese. <laughs> no, we can't. We can't have minter cheese because Nate doesn't like minter cheese. So we're not oh, going to. That's right. He, he so we're got going to do that. Yeah, I tried it. As we start wrapping this up, I will say this: This is pretty impressive. The designer Stephen Mathers. This is his first game. Wow! Oh, that is. Yeah, I'm I'm clapping right now. I don't want to ruin your audio, but I am impressed. That's coming out of the gate hot right there. Because I went and looked. So, what else has he done? According to BGG, this is the only game he has credit for. Unreal! Oh, wow. Oh, I, I'm so, I'm sorry. Way back in '98, there was one called Ancient Empires. So he hasn't done one in a very long time. Mm-hmm. Then never mind. So, so negatives for this game, a negative for me, I did feel like the card market got, even though it did rotate out, I felt like it got clogged with some cards and it was, I don't want to say expensive at times, but you know, I don't know. There were, I didn't, I needed influence cards and I didn't get them. You know, I was sitting there going, okay, I need me some influence cards. That's the only thing that I felt was kind of let me down a little bit while I was playing this game. Everything else top notch. I don't know if y'all felt that way. Right. Well, and I, I agree with you because I play the Mershid in the um, second game and the card market. And I don't, I don't know if it was, you know, because we had those ship cards in there, we couldn't use, but the card market just didn't seem to go the same way for me as it did for Nate in the first game. Cause I remembered it one time I looked out on the card market and I was like, man, there's six purple cards out of there. That's over half of what we have out there. And I only had like two or three purple cards out at any given time. And it really Mm -hmm. made it tough for me to play the faction uh, and be in a position to negotiate with people to get the victory points like you're supposed to do when you're when you're playing the Mershid. I I think I only ended up getting one card in the whole game that gave me a advantage on influence. Mm -hmm. Uh, So to me, that made it really rough. By not being able to get those cards also... Um, hampered the economy because like we said, when you buy my faction card, I get the money. But if the market, if the card market is stalled, it stalls the economy. That's it. I'm done with that. And so, Hey, I'll sit back. Y'all finish this out. No, I think, I think that's a good point that the randomness of the card market and then the fact that it doesn't refresh, like it refreshes kind of automatically, but only the bad cards that are not purchased, 
like the last couple of slots cycle every yeah. year. Well, we're only playing three years, and at the end of the third year, it doesn't count. So it's only mm-hmm. happening twice in the whole game. It's hard to get rid of some cards people don't want, like Assassinate or Ships in the second game. I'll throw in my slight uh, negative. Overall, I lo- we'll do final thoughts or whatever, but it's no surprise. I love this game. One of the slight negatives for me is one, it's kind of coupled with one of the uh, like main positives. As Marty mentioned, you only get 12 actions in this game. This game plays very quickly because of that, but it also it doesn't give you a lot of room to like explore or to like jockey for position. So as you guys found out, yes, I won both games, but I won by being super focused and like every action, you know, gave me victory points and counted. I didn't have time to like spar with Mark over here if it didn't give me victory points. This reminds me a lot of TI competitive TI. You know, you can do a ton of things in that game. But there's actually only a few things you should be doing kind of to get you victory points to Mm. win the game. And so if you're not doing those, you're kind of losing a little bit. If you're fighting a battle that isn't giving you victory points, you're losing victory points. Like, you're losing position. And so this game is very tight in the action economy and doesn't uh, is a little bit unforgiving. If If you waste an action or two, that might cost you the game. In theory, you could play that extra year, yep. but I really love the time of 90 minutes with four players with three years. But I, I 100% agree with you, Nate. In that, in the second game, the last year, I had something I really, really wanted to do. I just didn't have time to do it. So it's like, oh, I, I, it had something to do with Tony. Tony was, uh, was kind of down there playing as the warlord, and I wanted to break up his spaces because there was something about uh, me playing as the caliph. I've got some points if i got some extra spaces or something. It's like, there's no way. There's no way I can recruit. There's no way that I can move down there and, or get the cards I need in time. So I kind of had to pivot and change. And I've been sitting there thinking, man, if I had one more year, I might could do it, but that would make the game longer. And that's a tough negative because that's part of the delicious like decision making that this game forces upon you. That's awesome, but it can feel a little punishing sometimes with that twelve turns. No, and I I can remember too, like being okay. I can buy this card and then I can move into this space and then I can build up and then I'm nope. That's the end of the that's the end of the year. Not gonna work. I actually get what you're saying, yeah, and I agree with that also. Final thoughts. Tony, let's just go around the horn. Okay, I was getting ready to say, y'all wrap it up. I'm getting ready to go get my Switch. Um, <laughs> so we got, first off, Miniature Market. It's out on pre-order right now. They're saying it's out of stock, but to put a notification in, it's $63. Wow, that's a good price. Yep. Final thoughts. Enjoyed the game greatly. Looking forward to playing it again. Perfect time for this style of game for me. Easy to comprehend. I think even the various factions, I would be comfortable with playing all of them versus, oh, I'm just going to lock down into one faction and that's all I'm ever going to play. That's where I'm at with that. I just hope one day to beat Nate. Nate? <laughs> so so for me, uh, Tony asked the question, what does this game do differently? And I'm not sure it does any one particular thing differently, but what it does do is combine some of my favorite parts of all the games that we've mentioned before into one nice concise package and it has that quick play time i can play it on a weeknight it combines the best of chaos not maybe not the best but some really cool parts of chaos and old world cuba libre game of thrones pax Premier, like 
I mean, it's just got a smattering of awesomeness. And I, I love it. It's great. I want to play it again. For me, it's uh, always play. Uh, if if someone you know walks in and they're like, "Hey, I'm ready to play Crescent Moon," uh, I'm I'm ready to sit down at the table. I am looking forward to trying it with a four year five player uh, variant. I want to uh, to give that a shot, and I will sit down and play it as long as I'm the warlord. <laughs> wow, just you're completely opposite of me. So basically, you right. spent the last yeah. seconds of your time just calling dibs. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just calling dibs. <laughs> warlord dibs. For me, final thoughts are like I said. Ever since I played this game, I can't stop thinking about it. And when a game just sits in my mind, it's like I want to play again. I want to play again. Then it's something that meant a lot to me. Nate, you made a very good point. Does it do anything that super unique? We haven't seen. No. But it combines mechanisms from other games that I and puts them together in a nice package. The components uh, are amazing. Thick tiles. We got the nice wooden pieces, so it looks nice on the table. For me, right now, it's definitely in my list for game of the year. Easily. Easily. I haven't played any other game this year that has blown me away as much as this one has. I know we still got some time to go, but I bet it's going to be in my top three for game of the year at this point. All right. Well, guys, uh, we really appreciate y'all coming on for another scurry report. Hope you don't stay gone too long. I hope it's not me getting you more food to make you come on. I just hope you eventually show up and play some games with us. I'm sure we've got some other ones coming up here for Rolling Dice where we will need expert opinions, good opinions, definitely opinions better than mine. So once again, thanks guys for coming on out. All right. Thanks thanks so much for having us. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Five minute initiative begins. In three, two, one. My game of the year in 2019 was Lost Ruins of Arnak. I love so much about that game, Tony. I love like the little bit of worker placement part. I like the little bit of the deck building mechanics. I love the fact how there were these two different types of cards. One you could play immediately. One goes on the bottom of your draw deck. There was a lot of little tweaks in there that I, I really, really liked. An expansion came out for this, and it's like, okay, I've got to try to get this expansion. It actually came out last year, but the expansion was so popular, it took us forever to get because it kept selling out, but we finally got it, Expedition Leaders. And the big change to this, Tony, is each of us plays as a unique character with their own unique starting cards and unique abilities to play during the game, which to me just elevates this game even more. That's right, because it gives you different objectives other than just running up a track and doing exploration. I will say this about the game, Lost Ruins of Arnak. It kind of, I don't want to say it made me feel flat, but I just, I didn't get it. Mm -hmm. But after putting the leaders with it, I'm like, okay, I like this game a whole lot more than when I played the original Lost Ruins. And you and I have talked about this. We talked about this on the other show where, you were like all gaga over, and I'm like, yeah, it's, it's okay. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, with the leaders, I was like, okay, this is very interesting. Mark's over there doing his thing, and you're doing your thing, and I got my thing going over here. But I'm liking how it's all coming together. I like how I'm able to change some of the tactics based on what you're doing. Never, yeah, yeah, never felt that way with the original game, but that's okay. It's a great game. So yeah, like one of the characters being played had this special briefcase where they could uh, get some artifacts and put them in there and then buy artifacts from there. So they had access to more artifacts. There was one that had a falcon 
that uh, basically every turn it moved along a track and anytime you could recall the Falcon and the further it is on the track, it could actually bring you back things, some resources and stuff. I was all about collecting a lot of money. And then there was the Mystic, which had this whole concept of like getting... It was, oh, yeah, you wanted fear cards. Fear cards. Basically, they, they wanted fear cards in their deck, and they could spend those cards. So all of them are very different. So what's cool is, if I play this with one particular leader, then we'll swap leaders, and it'll feel like a totally different game. Like, there's one we didn't even get to play that gave you, like, a little extra worker, a little extra explorer to send out mm-hmm. on the board. And the the track on the right of the board where you're moving up uh, your investigation and tablet tokens up a tree they give you another board that you can put on top of the original that has different paths on there. So that side of the board could be totally different too. So that's another thing that's added in the expansion. The other concepts they changed was the round tracking and how it would cycle through the deck. Remember how you would clear out on, you'd move that little token over. Yes. And it would help clear out the deck and help recycle the deck. And that is big. Yeah. So what happens is you actually have more access to cards because they're cleared out more often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, 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 you go through the deck of artifacts and items a lot quicker than what you normally do in the regular game just because of how the end of the round is refreshed. Instead of clearing out one card on either side, you clear out two cards on either side. So for me, I think one of the things uh, CGE should do here is box them together. Uh, uh, yeah, may, eventually, or, or maybe release another really solid expansion, one that adds maybe a lot, and then do a big box of a big both. Box. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if you are a fan of ruins, Lost Ruins of Arnak, to me, you need this. I will never play this game without using the leaders. Mm-hmm. And if I were to pick it up because I enjoyed it so much more, I would order them both. Oh, 100%. Maybe your first game, just play the base game. Everybody has the same starting cards and same abilities. But honestly, once you get beyond that and you play this game a few times, leaders is the way to go. And then you got that extra sideboard that you have different sides that you can play now. And you got two sides of the map, the main board that you can do. So a lot of variability in this game to every time you play, it might feel a little bit different. I'm glad we got to play it. And I'm glad that you have a, a higher ranking of this game mm-hmm. now or how I feel about this game just with the leaders itself. So y'all, that's a selling point right there, right? Regardless of what you thought with leaders, this will probably elevate it. I liked it. I liked it even more. Tony was okay on it, but leaders made it something that he really enjoys. So this is Lost Ruins of Arnak. This is the expansion Expedition Leaders, designer Elwyn Men from CGE. Five-minute initiative is complete. If you are not heading over to miniaturemarket.com every day like me, that is part of my routine, Marty, where I am every morning, I check my various feeds to see the news that I want to see, see what's happening in the world, see what's impacting the power grid and what's on sale at Miniature Market. You are missing out because just this past week, I know this is a couple weeks ago. So a couple weeks ago, Miniature Market suddenly said, hey, you know what? We're going to offer free shipping on for $75. So all those people that had things that were on hold suddenly said, send it, send it. And I was like, brilliant. I'm over there. What can I need? What can I get for $75? What can I get for $75? Oh man. Oh, there's 80% off on tabletop minis. Oh, was now we got the superhero sale. Sales are constantly going on. You don't know what's going to hit the miniature market. We don't know. We've asked. They said, we're kind of like you guys. We fly by the seat of our pants over here. (laughs) 
<laughs> He's not kidding, y'all. We've actually asked. Look, let us know what sales are coming up so we can promote them. We, go, we don't know. We can't give you enough advance notice to even know what this is going to be, which I just love. I know. So, so what are they doing? So right now, like their, their main screen is full of magic stuff, constantly changing. And if you are not going for the board games, if you are not going to the daily updates right underneath board games, you don't know what came in. Get those notifications came on. I got received a few notifications of games that just came in. We talked about Lost Ruins of Arne. They got it in stock, but they only have a few copies. Get over there. People are going crazy over this game called Ark Nova. Get your notifications on. They've got the pre-orders ready to go. Head over to miniaturemarket.com for all your board gaming, supply, accessory, collectible miniatures, role-playing. They got it all. That's over at miniaturemarket.com. Tony, you probably never really got any of these into this, but you know, like at Walmart and Target back in the Lego section, they have these little blind packs of mm -hmm. Lego figures. Did you ever get into buying any of those or anything? No, I did not because I really very seldom went back there. Sure. So here's the thing. Having three sons who are all big into Legos, they became a standard stocking stuffer. So every year, Vanessa would get a stocking stuffer of the latest set. So they come out with these sets all the time. Again, they're like six, seven dollars for a little bag, and it's a blind buy, and then you have a little figure that you put together. Like, for example, this past Christmas, she got each of us a Looney Tunes mm. one. They have different theme sets. Well, it was just announced that coming out on May 1st, so it's out now, they're coming out with Lego Muppets. And there's a Statler and Waldorf. So now the quest is on baby. Where do you buy them? Uh, Target, Walmart. Really? Yep. They're usually like hanging on like an end cap or something. Little small bags, maybe three by five, four by four, something like that. Little bags that you rip open. Uh-huh. Or the smart thing is just to wait till they show up on eBay and buy them there because it'd be cheaper than buying bags, hoping you get the right one. But I may buy one or two because here's the thing. All the Legos that they have, I'm interested in. There was there was none I would turn away. And there are 12 different ones. So see, I will quest this too, because first off, Swedish Chef, yes. Ralph, yes. Honeydew, yes. Would you say no to any of those? You know, I wouldn't, I was never a big fan of Gonzo. I like Gonzo, but you know, of all of, no, I would not say it's the Muppets. Come yes. on. Okay. But yeah, but they pick the highlights. I mean, I don't see Dr. Teeth in there, but Janice and Animal are in there. Yep. So I'm And just, Ralph. So you got three from the band. Mm-hmm. So right now I'm on the walmart.com site and it says I can go to Walmart right now and pick them up. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Here's the thing. All right. All right. So they're $4.99. So that's what the, what's they are. I, I'm getting ready to go to Target after we record. Okay. If they have them there, I will buy a bag. You buy a bag. And maybe we could do a, a live opening and see what we get. I'm not, I'm not buying a bag. I'm buying bags. <laughs> okay. This is fun. The collectible side's coming out in us. We'll buy a few bags and we'll trade. And so we get duplicates. What it means if we get duplicates, like if I get two of Kermit, I'll give you one. Oh, yeah, exactly. If I get two of Animal, I will, <laughs> knowing you and I, we'll be looking at eBay and say, yeah, I would trade this, but dude, look, <laughs> I can we can sell this on eBay for $20 and I can get four more bags. <laughs> but the goal is Statler and Waldorf. 
I wonder if you can feel them. Okay, that's a great question. We've tried that. We have not been successful in feeling them because some of them, they put the little pieces and little plastic protective sleeves. Oh, that's just wrong. So, so you can't feel, and, and some of these are so generic, it'd be hard to feel. So we've tried. Some people may be really good at feeling at what they are, but maybe you could feel Fozzie's microphone stand over there. Mm -hmm. Maybe in that pack, you might feel that, but I, I don't know about all the others. Yeah, the computer and they, I don't know what um, Statler and Waldorf have. One looks to have a computer and I forget what they all have over here, but yes. I mean, oh man, this is going to cost me money. <laughs> it was like the... Uh, the Nintendo controllers. I was blind buying blind bags and Nintendo controllers trying to get a complete set of those too. So Oh yeah. I mean, let's see. Waldorf has Statler and Waldorf there. They've got their napping and a cup of coffee and, a, and an old computer. Honeydew has probably the best. He's got a beaker. Not beaker himself, but an actual beaker. Oh, hold on. Gonzo's got a chicken. Gonzo's got okay now. Gonzo's gotta have a chicken. There you go. <laughs> Gonzo's got a chicken, so they, they just got elevated a little bit. Yeah, and, and of course, Kermit's with the rainbow and the banjo. Yep. So all oh, this is so exciting. And then Fozzie with the banana, which which will tie into something I wanted to ask you about, because this is yes. something else I'm gonna make you're gonna make me spend money on. All right. You're in my wallet, man. Have you ever heard of the minor league team with the banana? Okay. So you gotta understand, Adam is a minor league fanatic. So anytime somebody has a cool name or something, he wants to go because of the name alone, and we want to go the, to the Savannah Bananas ball game. So that popped up on my YouTube feeds of you know minor league games and minor league teams, and they did that whole segment on ESPN about how the guy and his wife leveraged everything and bought the Savannah team. Ah, I didn't know this. Okay. Yeah, and it was a very interesting story and how they came up with the name and how they made it a fun park. They went from 300 people to selling out every game of 7,000. Whoa. First off, the players do their own introductions. What? That's cool. So they're walking up to the play, you know, Marty Dinger Connell. You know, you can do your own introductions. They do. Oh. They, they're shooting TikTok videos. They're doing the baby banana, the baby dressed up in a banana. And um, I just want the Savannah banana hat. All right. It sounds like we need a road trip. Vanessa has already said, she, I'm ready to go some more minor league games this year. So maybe we need a road trip to Savannah. Because that's not that far of a drive for us. That's probably, what, four hours? So we could do yep. that. make that yep. happen. And I haven't been to Savannah in forever. A lot of good food there. A lot of things mm -hmm. to see. Oh, man. Savannah bananas. I was like, I wonder if Marty's been to that stadium. I have not. But now, I mean, if I was to say, Vanessa, do you want to go to the Savannah bananas minor league ball game? She'd be like running it. See, she's already said it. She heard it. <laughs> she's already like, when? I, I, they just, they they had me at the players doing their own intros. I just, yeah. I love that. I was like, that is perfect. That's what's so cool about minor league ball games is they're so open-ended on the different things they can do. And it's like the lower level of ball it is, the more wacky and more fun stuff they can do with it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I forget. I don't know. I don't think they're fitting a major league. I don't know all the various levels. I didn't realize. I think there's a lot of minor league. Le I know there's a double a triple a and so forth, but I think there's even levels inside of the levels. There was a big change several years ago. A lot went independent. Yes. A lot of teams lost their affiliation that hurt a lot of teams actually here in North Carolina losing their affiliation. So now they're part of an independent league. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like going to the Gastonia team. I was asked, uh, some, the, uh, 
It's not the honey. Honey badgers. The honey badgers. Yes. Yeah. They said, you need to go see the honey badgers. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I need to go down there because they got a whole new stadium. Let me tell you where you need to go. Yeah, you do need to go because it's close to you. And it's a little, it's not too bad of a trek for you. The Canapolis Cannonballers mm-hmm. is an amazing place to go watch a game. Great stadium there. And there's and it's one of those they've built up a lot around it. So there's like restaurants and stuff surrounding the ballpark. Very cool. Yeah, and it's outdoors. So I know Donna will go with me. Oh, I mean, I, the one thing I also want to go to the Burlington Sock Puppets. Oh, yes. I, I just want a hat. I want a hat, too. I want a sock puppet hat, and I want a fan and a banana. Absolutely. I want the sock puppets. Oh, man. Some, see, it, it doesn't have to be serious. And if you see behind me, I don't know if you can see it, but there's the uh, cannonballers hat. Yeah, so every time I go to a new stadium, I pick up uh, a cap. I don't care who's playing. Just have a good time at the ballpark. And yeah. eat. Yeah. Oh, another thing, too, is like they come up with some of the best ideas for food. And, and the guy, this Savannah man, he's like, I'm not here to get money off of food. He's like, this is the same price you would be paying normally. Oh, dude, then we got to go. Yeah. He's like, you're not going to pay $5 for a hot dog here. Wow. So I'm like, oh, man. Well, you know what? And I guess it works. You go from 300 people in attendance to 7,000 every game. So you make up for it in ticket sales. Absolutely. He's like, we're, we're here for cheap family entertainment. And that's, that's, what, we, that's what we're going to do. Excellent, man. And you get to, cool. And, oh, and they see, I keep going on. He took down all the promotions. The ballpark is not a bunch of, you know, Al's lighting or so-and-so hardwood floors. He took all really? that. He got rid of all of that. He said, then no. how does he make money? I don't know. <laughs> wow. They took down all, he says, you are coming to the ballpark. You're going to see the outfield fence as an outfield fence. I'm like, get out of here. Now he oh. may have changed, but you know, this was a couple of years ago. It's hard telling what they've done. I just, you know, I think it's pretty cool. And, but I will say I do need to get out of here and go roll some dice for Muppets. And take some names of some Muppets, hopefully. Hopefully. Again, Welcome Ultra Pro is an official sponsor of this podcast. So please go down to their website and check them out. Remember, you can get 5% off all your orders. They make incredible products, y'all. Thank you to all of the other sponsors of our show. Make sure to follow us on Discord. We're now heading towards 500. We hit 500, we give away a $50 gift card. Follow us on Twitter at Dyson Names and Instagram, Dyson Names. See you next episode. It comes in, you know it's going to be swingy. It's just people sitting around having fun. Hold on. Wait till this person walks by. Are you done?